On this episode of the Telerotor RC Podcast, Tim Paddlebeck joins us with a little bedtime story. Number three is Goldilocks. Number one is like <laughs> Little Bear, and number two is Mama Bear, and number three is Big Papa Bear. <laughs> and Monty, being Monty, always has a way to bring us down to Earth. Bro, look at this. Bro. I'm going to put Dean's connectors on my 712S helicopter. Didn't stop Jamie Robertson from beating you in a contest. You get to find out what Shaggy was really thinking during a recent demo flight. This is about 50,000. This is part of 75,000. Ooh, wow, this is a serious. This is 500,000. <laughs> <laughs> Just. Hmm. Now I'm really wondering if we brought on the right expert for this episode. Hold your soldering iron with a foot and, you know, the wire in your mouth and uh, the. You'll find out what Shaggy tried to give to Cliff. What the? No, I'm not <laughs> touching this thing. <laughs> all right, so now if you manage to get all the way through this episode and don't learn a few things, just remember this. Hey, Shrink hides all the <laughs> shitty solder joints. Hello and welcome to Telerotor RC. This is episode 52, Soldering. This is Robert Monty, and with me is Michael Shaggy Parker. Hey, everyone. Mike DiPaolo. System D is the devil, and it's causing me grief now. How y'all doing? Rich Sowers. Hey, guys, what's up? Cliff Lewis. Hey. <laughs> oh, man, Cliff, you do that worse and worse all the time. I try. And our guest for this episode, Tim Tideback. Okay, so what have we done since the last episode, other than attending events? Shaggy, you go first. Ba- basically, uh flight-worthy stuff. What I did in the last episode is I had a chance to fly at Shannon Air Shannon Airport. They had a little fall festival, and I took my RAW there. We had everything all set up there just for display, but I got a chance to actually fly the RAW in front of a couple thousand people uh, on the, the grass strip, a small little demo, and I was able to do two flights two, at two separate times, and that was a, a, lot, that was a lot of fun. It like it was pretty cool. Uh, it was very... It was nerve-wracking because they they had more planes uh, that flew in than expected, than they normally have. So they had a section that they were keeping empty just for us to fly. And they're like, we, we have we have no space. We have to park there. So they started putting these planes there. And I'm looking at these planes like, yeah, this is about 50,000. This is probably about 75,000. Ooh, wow, this is a serious. This is 500,000. <laughs> <laughs> just, just, just parked it right here. I was like, wow, okay, this is going to be exciting. Flying over this, the, these helis, doing hurricanes over top of these planes. It's going to be fun. But uh, it, it was it was actually a lot of fun. I, I just kept it basic because there's no point of going crazy. Everyone there doesn't know what these things oh. can do. So I actually had multiple people come up to me. It's like, how do I get into this? Wow. So I, several of them. I mean, I had one guy's like, how much did that cost? Like, well, you know, when you add up everything brand new, it was about three grand into this helicopter. I had the raw. And he's like, so all I got to do is spend $3,000 and I can fly like that. It's like, uh, <laughs> no, no, no. So I had to, I had to explain him, to him, like, the process of it. Um, and the next thing on the list is I've been building a big horsepower in a tiny box charging case. So I've been building one of uh, Mike DiPaolo's charging case that he designed. Oh, cool. 
And basically, I am just waiting for power supplies, and it's finished. Cool. It's about a $500 charging case, so it's a little pricey, but it'll be the last charging case I'll ever need. <laughs> We've heard that before. <laughs> We've all said that before. Until we mm. see the solder joints inside of it. <laughs> no, that just means nobody else will buy it. Sorry, Shaggy, I had to. <laughs> yeah, it yeah, can't yeah. be. It can't be a cold solder joint if it's liquid. <laughs> hey, yep. Hey, to be fair, this is my first one I've actually built. So the other ones I've just bought. So the the the, the other charging case that I think Monty's showing interest in it to release the charger itself. Uh, that was Joe Diaz. So I don't. Even, I hadn't even looked at it. So it's been lasting for f- five, six years. No, it's been lasting for seven years so far. So is that the one with the big jacked up fuse lead thing on it? Oh, f- that death waiting to happen to somebody. I, I remade that. It's st- oh. it still works, but I remade it because you guys got done giving hey, me. He told me at Urch, he's like, "Hey, can you just go ahead and plug up my battery for me?" I'm like, "Yeah, sure, I'll get." It. I'm like, "What the?" No, I'm not <laughs> touching this thing. <laughs> yeah, Tim, you, you'd probably have an aneurysm. <laughs> I remade it. I, I I made I made another one. It's it's better. I made another tr- and I put heat shrink around it so you can't see it. There you go. <laughs> put enough heat shrink on it. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and I made sure I took a hey Tim, I made sure I took a lighter to it. Yeah, there you yeah, go. Man. Heat shrink hides all <laughs> the shitty solder joints. Oh my god! All right, Just who's next? Shoot him! Apollo <laughs> uh, built a printer, reversing TikToks and pure stuff. Uh, I will go because I'm quick uh, for this uh, part. Uh, I repaired my 520. I still need to maiden it. Uh, I got to thank uh, Jimmy Tate for hooking me up with parts. And that's all I've done heli-wise. Past that, I've uh, full-time property maintenance. <laughs> Tell you what, man. Jimmy Tate put some machines in last weekend. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'll say this right before we go into RCHO topics on this thing, but you guys talking about how much stuff went in reminds me of Heli's Over Delaware. Man, uh, back in the day, know. that place. I remember I counted one day they put in like thirty six machines in one day. Well, I I think I told you guys we were we were. I don't we'll get into this in a second, I guess, but um, we were trying to figure out how many we had on Saturday, and we we counted fifty four, and there were more than that. Yeah. So, okay, Rich Cliff. Rich, go ahead. What have you done? Go ahead. Yeah, you go, Rich. Yeah, I'd say I'd say I'd say both of you give what you've done and go ahead and talk about RCHO. Oh man, I didn't. I haven't done. I did some simming, getting ready for RCHO, a little bit because we were going to do the inverted hover in a box thing we talked about last time. Yeah, yeah, I didn't do that. Nobody, you guys didn't bother to show up, and you weren't there to hackle me about it. So I didn't do it. He didn't um, fly any, and it didn't matter. So there you go. <laughs> there you go. Um, I did, I did sell some stuff. You know, I had somebody, I can't remember his name. Um, guy, an older guy that bought my 570. And I'll tell you what, man, this guy, he's, he's on a fixed income. Um, bought my 570. I've never seen anybody happier by a helicopter before. That dude was excited. Um, I was excited for him. It was a lot of fun. Um, 
He's hit me up a few times since then. So I'll probably have to help him get it going. But, um, man, he was excited to get that helicopter. That was fun. Um, oh, without going into RCHO, Cliff, I think that's about it for me, man. No, I say, I say because it's both you guys. Go ahead and go into RCHO. Um, go, let's see. What do you want to say, Cliff? Well, it started? Yes. Yeah, so, well, go ahead. Finish your, your little bit there. What little bit? You, you're about you dancing a lot. I did not dance a lot. You danced quite a bit. There's video to prove I it. I danced a little bit at RCHO. There is so much video with you, Elaine. So much, Elaine, my personal bartender. She she just was taking care oh. of me. Man, she was taking care of everybody. She was. I feel so bad for Maddie. Oh, she was. <laughs> Actually, it wasn't. Uh, it was all good, uh, but yeah. Man, all you have um, to do is shake your cup with, and she—I mean, she will grab it from your hand and go fill it up for you. She is awesome. And there were there were people that didn't have cups that all of a sudden had cups. <laughs> it was amazing. She yeah. was a truly amazing lady. Yeah, yeah. Um, she did good. She did good. But uh, I see we both got there on Thursday, right? So. Know, got set up. There was already quite a few people there on Thursday. It was, yeah. And uh, flying was. I got there about lunchtime. Flying, it was already people there flying way before I got there. Um, and it just. I think. I think they said they had. I think fifty three pilots. I think at the end of it. I, had like, I don't. I I'd asked him, but I don't remember the number. Yeah. It was, I'm not sure how many totally ended up with, but the campers, you know, they re, they refocused where they were putting the campers. I think that worked out actually better than I thought when I first saw it. I think um, so too. Yeah. When I first saw it, I was like, oh, this is not going to be good because I didn't think they'd be able to get in and out because they, what they did was, and you guys, if you're not familiar with RCHO, you're not going to get this, but the parking lot is very small. And the place to put the trailers, there's just not any more room over there. So they took up some of the parking and parked trailers in at an angle on the backside by the ditch. Mm-hmm. And they had what? I don't know, five or six, maybe I, seven or eight back there? I, yeah, I would say probably seven or eight or so back there. Yeah. And um, that actually worked out pretty good. I was worried they wouldn't be able to get them in and out of there, but yeah, it worked out good. Had um, People come down from up north. Um, there was one guy, Rick. He was from Connecticut. Uh, mm-hmm. The McClellans came. And yep. um, Jimmy Tate, he came. Yeah. Um, can't think of who else up north. Anybody kind of more up north? Where's Dan Murnane? He's in Maryland, but he's he's yeah. he's, a, he's a normal normal. He's guy. an RCHO yeah. guy. Yeah. Um, who else? I don't know. There was well, and then there was enough all the way down to Florida. They had Frank Mordiaos and Ernie came up from yeah. Florida. Um, a lot of the usual guys are. I say quite a few. I say quite a few, but several of the, lo- the usual guys that show up are going this weekend to uh, Arizona. Right. So they weren't there. Um, by Friday afternoon. It was hopping. And we had a, there was a lot of people there, quite a bit of flying going on. Um, it was so. It, it sounds like to sum up RCHO, you didn't fly at all, Rich and Cliff. You just danced and drank. No, no. I, oh no, he flew. I flew, he, I flew, he flew a good bit on Thursday. 
Uh, and so Kyle Wells was there. He wanted to, uh, he wanted, he didn't bring anything to fly. And I'm like, well, you can fly my stuff. He crashed my Puma two and two thirds times and we fixed it each time and got it back flying again. What's two thirds? How do you crash it two thirds? Okay. So one time he crashed it in on the head and I don't know how wound up breaking. Well, so he broke all the servo horn arms and the tail blades. That was it. I'm like, there's no way it landed on the head. Whatever. We pulled it back out, fixed it. And then now that was one, one crash time. Two crash times, he he had this super awesome flight, low head speed. It was like 1,200, the whole flight, and he crashed it at the very end and kind of went in on its side. He was was able to hit hold pretty quick, but it wound up breaking the uh, main blades and broke two of the servo arms, put all that back together, and everything was fine. But in the middle of those two, after the first crash, we thought we had everything all set up again, and we took it out there and spooled it up. And one of the uh, blade grip arms was, had, it, I guess the Loctite had broken loose. It was, just, it was just loose, and the whole blade was wobbling. So he like was within a gnat's ass of crashing it right there, just trying to spool it back down, just from that blade flopping all over the place. So that's where I get the two-thirds <laughs> from. Because it almost oh, it almost did more damage doing that than it, any of the crashes that he had. Hmm. Just more head speed. It'll 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 fly. That's out. what I was saying. So that was everything. I said, go up another head speed. Let's see what happens. Oh, there was a lot of that. It'll fly right Dude, out. There was a lot of that. Put it back together really quick. Oh, it's wobbling. So speed it up. It'll go. Val. Val. His. I think he's thirteen. Just getting ready to turn fourteen. Oh, dude. Val has already learned to do inverted autos, which now Lamont has done one inverted auto. I'm like, all right, my turn. I'm going to go out and do you inverted autos do this weekend. So, <laughs> Did you do it? I am going to do it. I'm, I haven't done it yet, but I'm going to do it. Lamont, Lamont texted me today and said he's done five. Well, he did the other four you today. Shaggy? Get on the bike. <laughs> we're, we're going to Fluvanna tomorrow. I want to see this. Well. It's happening. I'll, I'll video it. What do you say? What do you say? What do you say? Oh no, I want to see it in person. It. it. Okay. Well, you yeah, he know. did. He did. He was doing inverted autos of this five seventy yesterday. Was it yesterday? When? Yeah, 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 yeah. Yesterday is when he called me. So yeah, I probably said, man, he was all excited about it. And I'm like, God, that sucks. But <laughs> I tell you what, there were some flights at RCHO. A couple of them. Um, you know, they did Saturday night. We did the, now there was a lot of great flights and there was a lot of crashing and there was a lot of, of, you know, crap talk and people getting talked into the ground. And there were a couple Ernie, holy crap. He crashed what five or six times. I don't know. I talked him into the ground one time. I think that I have to say it was my (laughs) fault. I don't think he was very happy about that one. (laughs) (laughs) I was like, it seemed like every time he went up, he was, he was some sort of a crash, but, um, and his dude, and his kid, just, his I don't know his name. His oh, kid, dude. he can fly really good. Yeah, he can. Mm-hmm. He did a he, they did a tandem flight with uh, what's his face? Um, what's his name? Who you were just talking about? Um, Val. Val. Oh, I didn't see that. He, yeah, they did a tandem flight, um, which was kind of cool. And then Val uh, Saturday night put your face on his blade. Oh, that, that was, that was hilarious. hilarious. Yeah, that was hilarious. Oh my god, that was hilarious. <laughs> And then, I mean, his face is showing up everywhere, including on Val's blades. Uh, 
No, I'm just saying, you guys oh, have was... got to pick somebody else's face to put on this stuff. That, <laughs> I mean, I'm just saying. Oh, uh, I don't know. I don't even know how I got to be the chosen one. Cliff, it's like a woman's ass. You can't stop looking at it. <laughs> you, know, you know, what started it all was when you decided to tell me it was going to take so long to get out Helly X's pictures last year. Mm-hmm. I know. Yeah, that's yeah. that's where it all started. But I know. I, I took I took good care of you. <laughs> I love you. Yeah, <laughs> I know. Yeah, we got. There's a couple of flights, and I know you may have a couple of others, but there's a couple for me. The flight with the um, oh uh, Brandon and Scott did. Yeah, that tandem. Um, oh my god, that was that in, was that was insane. It was insane. It was funny. It was. Because Brandon just went out to do, just went out to break his helicopter. I mean, it was it was a maiden mm-hmm. or a remaiden on that helicopter. And Scott said his helicopter and goes tandem, and Brandon was like, "Uh, okay, yeah, Brandon's whatever, stay. man, whatever, yeah, whatever. I'm just I'm going to stay over here." <laughs> he takes off, and of course that was Scott wasn't having that shit, and he started chasing him around. And oh my god, they hurricane ninety. I mean, just. It was really good. Lots of maneuvers that they were doing trying to catch each other. Now, Scott says he wasn't trying to hit him. I, yeah, okay. He was just trying to get close. He was trying to get, you know, he got close. Yes, he did. And he ended up hitting Brandon and taking Brandon out. And then he kept flying it out. I mean, he, he didn't didn't crash his helicopter. So, he flew it out. Everybody egged him on to fly it out. Before that, that was Ting. Did you see Ting fly? Oh, my, oh my God. Dude. Dude. He said, he's like, yeah, I haven't flown. I've only flown three times this summer. I'm getting rusty. I'm like, yeah. If I could just learn what you've forgotten, I would be doing superb. So fast. Guys, I swear you guys are going to have an orgasm right now about this. Dude, you have no idea. You you should have come. I mean, the the flying was at a different level. This, uh, I mean, at at this one. I mean, we were glad that you didn't come. Not just the carnage. There was lots of carnage. (laughs) Yeah. But I mean, it was... Flight and it was flight after on Saturday. It was flight after flight after flight after flight, um, just all day and all night. Oh, and Kenny was there. Kenny was there too. I don't know where Kenny comes from, but he was there too. Kenny. Kenny Hutton. Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. I don't know where he lives though. Mm. Not near here. Facebook. <laughs> he lives in Facebook. He lives in Facebook. <laughs> yeah, it was. It was fun. It was. It was a lot of fun. It was. Um, it was a busy weekend. Um. Helicopters flying pretty much the entire time. Yeah. Oh, yeah, that, that's cool. That part's cool. Yeah. Yeah. It was. Uh, yeah. It was a lot of fun. I had a good time. Music going until what four o'clock in the morning on Thursday and two thirty on. They got Friday. new people yeah. coming in down there at RCHO. I don't get it. Uh, they got. They've got another new guy down there now. He won the uh, Soxo Seven Hundred kit. Ryan. Oh, yeah. Yeah. All that. Nice. Yeah. They had. A, they had a good raffle. All right, we ready for closeout? No, we're no, ready for. We've, nope, we're done. We're we're, yep. uh, we're on to where Shaggy's gonna fall asleep really quick. So yeah, I think that's that's good enough. Well, FBL project news. Uh, any update, Cliff? Yeah, um, I planned to do it today, and I had to go wind oh, up going course. to Richmond, so I'm gonna do it this weekend. Nice. Um, yeah. yeah and uh, we've got two units left. The Spirit and the CGY 760. Uh, past that, uh, listener feedbacks and questions. Everything is pretty much feedback. And first up is to head over to Podbean 
for some of our feedback. Uh, first up is from uh, Mikel Graham. He said, uh, hey, guys, just wanted to add a comment about the uh, Avian 120 ESC, so the uh, Horizon Hobby ESC. He says, it is actually a 160 underneath. And to add, I'm running an Avian 120 on an SAB RAW 700 KSE tri-blade with a Tariq 50XX motor running 2000 on the head. The Avian 120 handles it just fine. It's a monster of a machine. But pay attention to Horizon. What you're looking, what you are looking slash waiting for is coming. I wish I remember what we were waiting and looking for. I guess it's a bigger speed controller. Because they have so much integration with their stuff already. I bet that's probably yeah, what it, it would is. Make sense. Yeah, it make, would make sense to have a bigger one. Uh, last feedback on Podbean was from uh, Flyride RC, Lou. He said, what a surprise it was to hear this topic on my way home from RCHO uh, Fall Pool 2022. Great seeing you all again. I hope this podcast helps others as much as it has me. More stick time for me is necessary. necessary. Hopefully see you all again at Chill Out. Keep up the good, uh, keep up the good fight. So, thanks, Lou, and thanks, Mikkel. Uh, and the next one is a lengthy email from... Javier. Javier. Yes. You said lengthy. I did. Okay. Uh, hey, guys. Really good episode, but I felt like the tail end of it was missing. So, you identify the reason why. That is good. For me, it's just the monetary aspect. Yes, I do have limited time to fix it, but what stops me is the money. In a post-COVID world, I am able to stay home and finish my day early so I can manage my time to fix. So my primary concern is being able to afford the parts. I thought I covered that. Uh, let All me right. finish up this one. We're not done yet. So I have identified the fear, but then it doesn't go away. So the next step is stick time. But stick time for the sake of stick time helps, but does not really reduce your chances of crashing. I think that Scott Graham's input on RCHN is kind of like that tail end. How to train more thoughtfully and intentionally to really polish one's skills to be able to feel more confident. Because usually dumb thumb crashes happen when you end up in a weird orientation. Well, what if you work the basics purposely and methodically to ensure that orientations are really natural? Here's the last paragraph on this one. So the amazing top tier pilots have started from small, practiced hours and hours on basic things, and then until after they started moving up on 3D. Today, the amazing pilots from Thailand and I think are just putting in stupid amounts of time on the sim. I asked one of them once, I think on YouTube, and he said he practiced several hours every day on the sim. Given most of us can't devote that amount of, sh that amount of sheer time, we need to manage the time we have to practice a certain goals. All right, we'll keep it up, and here's the email you asked for. Cheers, Javier. Thanks, Javier. Yeah. Thank you. Uh, I'm really happy about this one. Um, and, and you know, uh, first paragraph, you said about money. I'm going to come back to that one. Second paragraph, uh, yes, Scott Graham's recent episode in RCLA Nation. Um, it's not really Scott Graham's episode, but his big feedback they had in one or two episodes ago. I really enjoyed that one. Um, mm -hmm. Talking about breaking down maneuvers. Mm -hmm. um, uh, especially so you can get into making things more natural. Well, you know, if you think, you know, you heard Devin talking back, you know, when, when Devin was beginning to fly, he would go out to the field and that's all he would do is hover. That, you know, hover. Yeah. That's all he would do. And he's a great pilot now. Oh, yeah. I, I remember seeing him and his dad at uh, Heli's Over Delaware when he like first switched over to helicopters and he was hovering. He was hovering. Mm -hmm. I know a lot of times when I go out, um, I know one of my, I think my last flights at um, Heli Extravaganza was just 
I was hovering and I was pirouetting constantly. I was just pirouetting back and forth in a line, pirouette and doing versals, and it was all upright. Um, just practice hovering. Um, uh, yeah, I, <laughs> through the editing of the topic, uh, I have to agree that I sometimes I feel that the uh, on that last episode we were a little disjointed. Um, and more specifically, how do you solve the money fear? I don't know. What do you got, guys? How do you solve the money fear? Get a better job. I don't know what to tell you. <laughs> I'm still firmly in the camp of don't fly. Don't fly what you can't afford to lose. You can't crash. Because the thing That's is, because people have asked me this, like, do you just practice so much that you're not afraid of crashing? I'm like, dude, no. What happens is, is you start flying harder. <laughs> Um, it, it, you know what? Yeah. It's a, it's a risk mitigation again. We spent like a chunk of the last episode on it. If you're afraid of crashing because yeah, of did. money, well, the first thing is figure out what you can fly and not cry about. Like if you've got uh, a crash fund put aside where you know, okay, if I eat shit, I have uh, one crash worth of money, you know, like, I don't know, three or 400 bucks put aside for it. So I, I kind of gets rid of that fear. I mean, yes and no. You know, it's still going to cost money, but it's not going to be a no-fly because you don't have the dollars to fix it. As for getting better to crash less, um, I mean, I'll go out there and I'll practice the same maneuver. Like, what was it? It's uh, pure TikToks and then pure TikToks at myself, but I still do it like 30 feet up because I don't trust myself yet to catch it. So that's, I, I guess that's, that gets rid of the fear of crashing for me because I'm doing it higher up and I'll just do that for like an hour. Um, not trying to do it close to the ground yet, but that's the thing, right? Like, like don't go out there and throw down like a madman if you're afraid of smashing it in. Yeah. I, I think the cost thing simply comes down to flying within the means of what you can afford to crash. Yeah. Really? I mean, yeah. It's. I mean, uh, there's no easy solution for that one. It's, you know, I, I, I would agree with you. Is, um, you know, uh, 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 an OMP M1 M2 mm-hmm. is is mostly within is within most of our oh our budgets God. for most all of us. I fly mine like oh, a yeah. complete asshole. Absolutely. Even the one that's like a one-off prototype, I fly it like a complete jackass. Because the one time. I hit the ground doing like 70. It bounced, Rich. And uh, it was like 30 bucks <laughs> to fix it. Yeah. I, what, well, go ahead, Monty. I, what I would add is is the hard part is, you know, like we talk about being in the fields and people are always like, oh, fly harder, fly lower, fly harder. One of the other things that's is, is said really often, but we don't really – we don't really actively realize that we're influencing because everyone's like, get a 700. Oh, yeah, All the time. <laughs> get a 700. Get, everything's better. Get a 700. But crashing a 700 is not affordable for everybody. And I would No, it's the I would reason argue, you and I both got XL power, you know, 550s. You, got, you know what I mean? That We, we got those so was, we weren't afraid to crash them. Yes, it was. I, I bought the I bought the XL power 520, 550 to have something at a – at a, a better point of damage for cost. Yeah, me if too. If I was to put it in, I wasn't to build, buy wasn't a model to crash. to crash it. It was right. to buy a model that was lower cost to repair. Yeah, you and I both bought them for the same reason. Yeah, and and so. and you know, I I crashed mine beyond flying at, at, uh, at Steve's event, but 
uh, retail and parts, I was still under a hundred bucks, and that was that was within my budget because I am budgeting my money now. And and that was still like two crashes in a flight, and he kept going. Yeah, it, yeah, yeah. No, it was that was uh that was three batteries. I I flew three batteries, and mm. yeah, that thing hit the ground twice, and it was the second time that it it played with the ground that did it. it means so. you went right back up and were like, "Fuck this, I'm going for it," because of like, oh no, it's gonna cost like fifty bucks to fix. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I, like, I fully hear. You know, everyone's like, "I'll oh, get a seven hundred. It's better." It's. I would argue most people can't actually afford the seven hundred crash because fifty-seven crashes in one day is going on a credit card. Yeah, dude. <laughs> I don't know. dude and credit was... and credit ain't cheap right now. I guess now. it's it's yeah. kind of like, what do you want to do? Right? Are you okay with chilling out a bit and? doing the crazier stuff up higher until you can catch yourself? Or are you the guy who wants to hashtag Jay send it all the time? Well, if that's what you want to do, then don't go running around with an expensive helicopter. Yeah. Yeah. And I've seen, I, I think, uh, I think between DePaulo, Shaggy, and myself, we've seen Javier fly. He's not yeah. a bad pilot. And uh, yeah, I hear you on the money part. I hear I hear you on the money part. I mean, that's that's the reason my Diablo doesn't exist. Is I wasn't I was not prepared to spend the money to fix that model. Granted, it was going to be cheaper than buying a new kit. Like I went and just bought an XL Power, but it still was like it was so expensive that it might as well have been a new kit because I was going to repair so much of it. There's going to be like, well, okay, it still shakes. I should have just bought the kit and built a new one. <laughs> Dude, all the guys, all the guys at Fredericksburg were like, Mike, go buy him a Fisto. You can afford it. Go, go, go do it. Go buy him a Fisto. I'm like, bro, that's, that's, I, I am not okay with the idea of $15,000 in the air that could just detonate itself. That's, that's, that's not cool. Mm. Uh, not to mention, you could be on the ground and oh, have someone dude, poke a hole in it. I mean, just, uh, I mean, it's kind of off topic, so I'll keep it short. But like, I think it was a month and a half ago, I went to go get us lunch from Sheets. I come back and poor Justin is getting profuse apologies from this guy that flew a foamy into his Mephisto. Oh, Jesus. <laughs> I mean, apparently the, the, the Mephisto is built pretty strong because it basically obliterated that foamy. But it was like, well, damn, dude. You uh, you almost had a 15K Deletus Maximus twice because of some dude's $200 turd. <laughs> yeah, I was not prepared to uh, be okay with that hitting the ground. Um, I bought a bike instead. <laughs> There's something to be said about the bodywork in a car will usually outlast uh, most uh, most yeah. cheap things hitting it. <laughs> I throw my bike downhills regularly. You can't do that with expensive helicopters. Yeah, I don't know. We got we got anything else on Javier's uh, feedback? No, I think we're good, man. Let's move on. Main topic. Shaggy, take us away. All right. So the whole point of this was to get someone who is essentially, you know, a certified expert in soldering because this keeps coming up a lot. And uh, despite not going to that many fun flies this year, I keep seeing helicopters falling out of the air from soldering joints. So it, uh, it occurred to several of us that we should probably do an episode on 
how to glue wires together real good like so your fancy toy helicopter don't go boom. Now we know why your helicopters fell out of the air. I just use solderless connectors. Yeah, and then they get loose and they fall apart eventually. No, this is how this is this episode is how to to learn how to actually solder and not be lazy and use solderless connectors. Solderless connectors exist because people keep screwing up connectors. There, exactly. Unpopular opinion. I said it. It also doesn't help that a lot of people for a long time kept trying to use connectors that really should not have been used. Like, bro, look at this, bro. I'm gonna put Dean's connectors on my 712s helicopter. I've seen that. Didn't stop Jamie Robertson from beating you in a contest. Can you do it? Yeah. Is it one of those where you really need to know exactly what you're doing with a soldering iron to get away with it? Yeah, kind of. It'd, it'd be like, uh, oh, God, we're going to do it. We're going to go into motorcycle crap. No, we're not. Uh, starting people on leader bikes because it's hilarious. What's the best starter bike, Cliff? Uh, not a grand. The Hayabusa. It's the Hayabusa. Yeah. It's always the Hayabusa. You've been hanging around Sean too long. Exactly. He, you know, he was an excellent, very educated man, and he told me that the legendary Suzuki Hayabusa is the best sort of bike ever. Someone starts out brand new on helicopters, what do you do? You give him a raw 700. Auto level, what's that? So, anyway, soldering. So, that's why we're here. Are we going to do any, like, uh... Well, I think we need to get Tim to introduce himself. All right, Tim. I've known you for a long time. We're both in the engineering world. Mm-hmm. But uh, aside from all the crazy people like Tony Whiteside and them that knew you really well, tell me and our listeners a bit about yourself and why they should give a shit if you start talking about soldering. All right. So I've been flying RC helicopters since uh, 2006, 2007. I got into Remokers Royal Helicopters because, you know, I started with cars when I was a little kid and I always wanted to fly. Um, always had a fascination with airplanes, but you know, the first time I saw an RC helicopter, I was just completely blown away by it. And I never got to see the thing fly and I didn't get to see one fly for probably 10 years after that. So RC helis just really captured my attention. And the more that I learned about them, the more it started to spread throughout my professional life. So I was in the Navy for a few years. I did aviation electronics and, um, you know, they taught us the basics of, of sticking two wires together, but they didn't really give us training on it. It was kind of just go out and learn it on your own. And remote control helicopters is what really expanded everything. You know, you learn so much with having to set them up, how to build them, mechanics, electronics, all that stuff, you know, everything that everybody knows about RC stuff in general. But the cool thing is that a lot of it scales, you know, a lot of everything that I do for work is based on what I know from helicopters. And, you know, I, I work on space systems now and I'm getting ready to do stuff that's going to the moon. And guess where I learned all of it? Flying RC helicopters and learning how to, you know, stick my stuff together using finless Bob videos way back in the day. And, now I've turned it into a bit of a career. So speaking of the career, how qualified would you say you are to talk about soldering right now? <laughs> I, I very very qualified. Um, I am IPC certified in the J standard 001H, the standard that I'm specifically trained in. Um, work sent me to a week long course to go learn the standard, and essentially. They do teach you how to solder a little bit, but mostly it's about 
being able to read and interpret the standard and how your solder should look when you're done with it. So it's partially an inspection type of a training, but it's also hands-on how to do it. And they kind of take you through a little bit of crash course on how to do it. We had guys that had never touched a soldering iron in their life, all the way up to people like me who'd been soldering for years and years and years. And they were really just able to show you a couple little tips on how to get started. And then even for somebody like me, they showed me a couple little cool tricks to help me get, you know, the, the last little things out of it to, you know, improve my soldering to the point where I'm at now. All right, then. So, yeah, I think space, I mean, I, I see pictures now and then of the stuff you offer from work and you explain it a bunch. We go back and forth to talk shop and, uh, yeah, uh, low-key, DOD, space quality, optoelectronics and all sorts of other stuff. I'd say um, there's a reason why we asked you to be here. Uh -huh. So, I guess starting from the top then, um, if we were going to take some dude who wants to put his toy helicopter in the air, and he's seen plenty of pictures of people's stuff deciding it wants to go home to China at about 100 miles an hour. And then you go up there and you see, oh, no, the batteries came apart or something like that. If we're starting from ground zero, I'm thinking, do we start with the equipment? Do we start with where to go to learn how to do this stuff or how to practice? Yeah, so, yeah. Uh, you know, essentially what, what – I can talk about is, you know, the soldering station or the soldering iron, if that's what you've got, uh, the different types of fluxes and what that does. Um, you know, the flux remover, cleaning agents, things like that to help um, clean up your stuff so it doesn't get corroded out. Cause that's actually probably one of the biggest reasons why stuff comes apart in the air and a lot of people don't pay attention to it. Um, you know, the, what type of solder wire to use or filler is uh, another term that's probably used. Um, you know, what hand tools do I have? What hand tools could I recommend to people to use? Um, and then microscopes or, you know, like visual enhancers. No matter how awesome you think you are at soldering, there's uh, something to be said about having a little magnifying glass out. And it doesn't, it's not about you you know, picking on each other about, oh, hey, old man, you can't see. It's it's really about actually being able to see what's going on in there. And I can honestly, I'd like to see someone else try to do 0201 components without a soldering iron or a, uh, without a magnifying glass. No, no, I'm talking about doing an eight gauge wire. I mean, you can see. I that. mean, you do see a lot. Yeah, but but that's what I mean, though, is there's there's something magical about when you can actually get your eyes to see what's going on on such a small level and how it gets started. Cause a lot of times is, you know, you, you'll see the solder melting as an example and you don't see how it propagates because it happens so fast. And a lot of guys are really just standing there waiting on dumb luck for this thing to melt. Uh, you know, today I was putting a connector on to one of our boards and I had two guys watching over my shoulder at the microscope. I got a little camera with the, the display and there we're, we're just sitting there. And I told the guys, I said, Hey, look, you got to wait for the heat to soak in. You have to let the heat do the job. And while we're sitting there, we're kind of like having a conversation and then poof, out of nowhere, it, it starts to melt, you know? And a lot of times people just don't, they don't know the patience. They don't know that they should be waiting for it to happen. They're so scared that they're going to melt everything because they've got their temperature turned up to 900 degrees, which 
will. That's very bad. We'll get into that later. <laughs> but, you know, like I said, it, it just there's something about um, visual enhancers that are just going to be able to push you to the next level that I, I can't help but recommend stuff like that, even if it's not really something that the average everyday guy is going to really want. It's it's still not a bad idea to go out and buy one of those. I mean, my boss uses like a like a little three dollar magnifying glass looks, you know, just really, really small little magnifying glass. And we'll stick our eyeball in there and you'd be surprised what you can see. And a lot of times there's stuff in there. you got little gremlins that are in there that you just can't see that just having some visual aids will will really, really make a big difference. And, you know, you could sit there and, and say, oh, well, I'm just soldering connectors. But like I said, it's it's just repeating the fact that you you can't tell what's wrong with it if you can't see it. You know, so it's just something that's helpful. And then the, the last thing that I, I want to talk about is is really the health warnings. You know, the, the fumes from this stuff is um, it, it's it's bad stuff. Everybody probably knows that, but maybe you just don't know how bad it can be and how quickly it can affect your body and how much it can, it can mess you up if you're not careful, you know? So I've just got some basic tips on all of that stuff to get everybody, you know, kind of through uh, all the topics that we're going through um, and, you know, just make it to where it's something that everybody can walk away with without getting overwhelmed by, you know, the super duper professional stuff that I do. All right. So if we're starting from ground zero, I guess, uh-huh. walk me through the process of soldering, say, 10-gauge wire and not doing a bad job of it in like the very basics of what you need. Like for now, we'll just call soldering iron soldering iron because yeah. I'm not trying to confuse the hell out of people by telling it's like, oh, well, you should go get a Hako 951 with a yep. you know, T15 series tip because they're just going to look at me with a blank stare. Exactly. All right. Um, so, you know, and, and uh, essentially, you're you're really just – sticking two pieces of metal together with multiple solder, you know, and the solder is made up of a couple of different materials. You don't need to get into too deep about what that stuff is just yet, but in essence, that's what we're trying to do. So the first thing that you got to do is you want to set up your workpiece. You know, you want to have your heat shrink over your wires. You want to have it cut to length. Um, You know, there's, there's technique to all of this stuff. And it's all stuff that you do kind of have to learn after a while. And that's where having good tools is going to help. And we can go over that a little bit later. But, um, you know, you want to have, uh, like, if you're if you're going to do a connector, you're going to do a big 5-millimeter connector, 8-millimeter connector, or something like that. You, you want your workpiece basically set up to where you don't really have to handle the stuff while you're trying to put heat and the solder wire in there. You know, if you're, if you're trying to hold your soldering iron with a foot and, you know, the wire in your mouth and uh, the, you know, the connector with your left hand and, you know, you, you just be a hot mess. Every, you can't, you can't hold everything still enough. So the first step, just like TIG welding, you would say is you need to have the work pieces secured and the setup's already done. Yeah. You, you as much as you can, um, you know, the, and it, that's where the, the fine part really is hard to, to really describe you know, just talking. But the the best thing that I can tell you is that the more at rest your piece is, the moment that you go into solder, the only two things that should be moving are the solder and the iron. That's it. 
If you can get it to where that's all set up and ready to go, meaning you have one little alligator holding your connector or it's down in a little piece of wood and then you push the wire into the end of it, you know, um, and it's all sitting still, it's not moving. And then you hit it with the heat and you add some solder wire in there and then pull the solder, solder wire away and then take your iron out and then let it cool off. You're going to have basically a perfect joint. But if you're holding everything up in the air and it's bouncing around, you're going to get old joints all the way through it. And that's, that's going to be what's going to cause a helicopter fall out of the sky because it doesn't really take a whole lot for it to be a good connection, but it doesn't take a whole lot for it to be a bad connection either. And that's, that's kind of why I wanted to do, um, you know, help you guys with on the show was to describe why you guys would get a failure when, you know, a lot of guys are just like, well, I just, I just can't get it. You know, I keep on burning my fingers or something like that. And, I know we've seen that plenty of times. Yep. You get the same, like, I just don't get it. It doesn't work. Why yeah. can't I do this? And like, well, lots of people do it every day, dog. Yeah. Yeah. And I, and I, I remember uh, you're talking to Tim about this, like, well, you just, you know, I always thought you just crank the heat up and Tim's like, no. Yep. Yeah, it's the Band-Aid fix. <laughs> yes. Well, you know, just like uh, with flying, you know how like uh, a lot of guys will make up for really bad flying by just add more head speed, um, you know. Oh, absolutely. And, and yeah. for the most part, you know, we've all seen that guy. You know, we've all been that guy. You know, uh, we, all, we all just crank the crap out of the head. Speed just, you know, because we all get excited when we see a helicopter moving fast. But then everybody else is watching you going like, oh, God, uh, I hope that guy doesn't put that thing in because it's coming at me at, you know, 3000 RPM or something. But. Well, it's kind of like it's kind of the same. Like you have, a, you know, a vibration. It's like, who? That's that's not good. Let me just crank up the head speed. Oh, it's gone. There we go. Problem solved. <laughs> yeah, I'm out of resonance. Woohoo! <laughs> yep. So, uh, and like I said, um, the 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 big things that a lot of people miss, or the people that people don't get really trained on, is stuff like your flux. Um, flux is as crazy as it sounds. Flux is probably the largest and most complicated part about soldering. And the whole purpose of, of having flux is to reduce corrosion or to get rid of corrosion. It's actually a cleaning agent. That's its number one job. Most people have no clue about that. And that's fine. That's there. You shouldn't feel bad about not knowing about this stuff. That, and by talking about it, you guys, you know, can at least have some kind of a, Oh yeah, I think I know what this stuff is for, but Flux also does a secondary job, and that's what's help. What's called wetting. So when you apply heat to the solder, right, you have what's called a eutectic value, and the eutectic value is the point at which the metal goes from a solid to a liquid, and then back to a solid again, right? And that eutectic value is what everybody is fighting, and and it, I know it's a big you know big term for some people to hear that. The first time, you know, I had to sit and research it. You know, I at one point I didn't have a clue what any of this stuff meant, and I had to go and I had to sit down and go, okay, what does this mean? Oh, Newtonian fluids and all that. Oh my God, you know, you just you you do feel a little bit overwhelmed. But like I said, it just breaks down to, hey, when the thing turns into liquid, when it goes back to solid. Cool. There's a certain point for every solder mix where that's going to happen. And it's also important to know that depending on the, the mixture or the ratio that you've got, that that temperature can move up or down or it can be at a raised position or at a lower position. The thing that everybody also confuses about that is 
they get that number wildly inaccurate. Um, solder normally like a good 60 40 or a 63 37 i want to say sorry i can't do math at the moment that stuff will typically start to melt at 230 or 240 c which um i want to say it's like 500 degrees fahrenheit i want to say um and and a lot of people like i said when they're at 900 degrees they're just scorching everything on their board and they don't know anybody or I'm sorry, not, not just their board, but especially your wires. Um, your in- oh, my favorites when you get the damn thing so hot that the solder wicks three feet up your cables. Yeah. Yeah. And, and there's, there's, there's definitely a, a very fine technique to, to actually tinning your wires. Um, the IPC stuff teaches you not to let it wick too far up the wire or else you got to cut it off and replace the whole thing. Yeah. It's a fail state. Yep. Um, and, and there's, and we'll, we'll go over the safety and why you shouldn't do that. Um, but the big thing is, like I said, we're, we're trying to figure out, well, how do you even solder in the first place? Um, and, and like I said, I didn't want to dive into flux too fast or too deep right away. Just, just wanted everybody to understand that flux is one of the most important things about soldering. It's almost as important as soldering in the first place. Um, and, and that, it will help you there. I see so many guys go out there and do, they are dry soldering. I, 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 I don't mean that you got to douse it in this stuff where it's underwater, so to speak with a ton of flux on there, but you need to have some flux. And there are, two, there are a couple of different types. There's like more liquid type of a flux and there's more like a gel style or a tacky flux, you know, is what uh chip quick. Yeah. I've uh, seen them. Yeah. Chip quick. We use yep. at work. And there's there's upsides and and downsides to both. Um, and I can go over some of those pretty quick when we get more towards like talking specifically about flux. But um, you know, like I didn't mean to take a, a the the rabbit hole, but um, you know, so you're talking about like the too long did not read. How do you solder? Like I said, your number one thing is do your setup. Get your setup to where that thing isn't moving anywhere and it's nice and stable. You know, you set your temperature to whatever temperature you need for your piece. And sometimes you just have to experiment, you know, like a lot of times people will go in there and they just think, oh, hey, I'm going to be at this temperature and I'm just going to leave it there. You know, or you buy those little stick irons that you plug in the wall and, oh, it's a 35 watt. Oh, it's a 45 watt. Um, You know, without knowing what your temperature is, you're kind of really just shooting in the breeze. Um you know, and the, the big difference between a, a lower grade or a no grade soldering iron or soldering uh, station is the ability for it to control that temperature. And for most guys, man, give me one temperature. I just need to stick two pieces of metal together and I'm done. Um, and for the most part, that's not that hard to achieve. But when you want to really start working on your ability to have really, really good solders, you just need to know what your temperature is. And you can do that with a little K thermistor and a, uh, you know, multimeter. All you do is you put a little bit of solder on the tip of your iron. You stick that K thermistor in there and you see what you can touch it to a thermocouple. And there you go. Yeah. Yeah. Thermocouple K thermistor. But a lot of people don't realize they have that function on just about every single or on, on most, um, decent, at least any of the fluke, uh, 
you know. Yeah, they all you get. You can plug a, a K-type thermocouple into them. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. I've used mine for that. It's kind of janky, but it works. Yeah, it, it works really well. And and the funny thing is that they 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 have these hundreds of dollars uh, soldering station testers and all. This is like a you can, dude. We they come with our with our units. We basically throw them away. You know, we got them sitting around all over the place. Their K thermistors are really really inexpensive, but you'd be surprised how much more empowered you are when you know what your temperature is. You know, you can you can check the accuracy of your. Well, there's a difference between having a helicopter that flies great and feels connected, and one that you're terrified of because it. Yeah, it feels like it's just gonna turn around on you and hit your leg. Yeah, it's, it's like, oh, okay, I'm gonna, I'm just gonna go throw this thing in the air and I'm gonna put it on 12s and oh, I might try it on 10s, but I don't necessarily know what my head speed is. This is being able to know your head. Speed. So then, so if you had some guy who just wants to get some 10 gauge wires, then we're probably talking, hey, what, like a 60 watt soldering iron, probably something that's not garbage. And I mean, I've seen the the Amazon ones. Yep, you've seen them a lot in. And then, I mean, the one that people have seen forever is the uh, the Hako 936, right? That thing was around for ages. And well, I think there's probably 20 different brands that have cloned it on Amazon, AliExpress, because it's just a transformer. Yeah. So something that's a bit of a something that's a bit of a cringe for anybody that knows anything beyond like the most basics of soldering is um, hearing what the wattage is of the iron as their number one selling point is the worst way to rate a solder. Yeah, there's that. Let's see. What else is like that? C ratings and motor ratings and ESCs. Yep. And it's just like, oh, three channel helicopter, four channel helicopter, ooh, six channel helicopter. Well, it gets into where I guess we're kind of in the topic of uh, soldering iron choice now is. Yep. Well, I, people have asked me a lot, like, oh, man, I, I want to get a soldering iron. I tell them, like, all right, first question, how much money are you okay with spending and what is it you're trying to do? Yeah. Because the first thing I'll think of is, okay, well, if you've got 100 bucks and you're just doing some wires, you probably don't need the best temperature control or really, really good fast heating tips. You're probably yeah. going to use the same tip every single time, you know, a D-type chisel or something like that. Sure. So I'll tell them, all right, we'll go get like one of the AliExpress things and go get Hako tips for it. Or Hako, I think it's like the the triple eight D or something that yeah. lots of people have. Yep. Which uses the old um I think it's D something tips, the old tips. Yep. And they work they work great for that. You gotta take it apart. Yeah, you gotta unscrew it and everything else and Yeah. It's- but if you're not switching them out and you're not in a doing production quality work where you got to run and quick and you need like 8 million different tips for different kinds of work, then yeah, those, those are perfect. You know, it's, it's all about, um, what's the task? So what are you buying? Yeah. And then, you know, you step up a little bit, you start getting into like the ceramic tips, you know, where it's a self-contained tip with the heater element and the thermistor inside of it. And you get a little, little spendy. Let's knock it down a little bit for us stupid people. <laughs> if I go buy a soldering iron, how many tips do I want? Well, that's what I'm saying is if you're just the, if you're just Joe Blow doing some 10 gauge wires on battery packs, just go get like some three or four millimeter wide chisel tip and then buy three of them because you'll wear them out and then just that, all that. And you'll probably need nothing else forever. How do you know when it's wore out? So this is where it gets fun. So if you look at a tip, Tim, see, this is really, I wish I had some pictures for this and Tim's probably thinking the same thing. Um... So worn out, like when you get a brand new soldering iron, 
And you look at the tip, and the thing's like nickel shiny, right? Mm-hmm. Like mirror finish. It looks great, especially when you get solder on it, you clean it off, and it's mirror finish. Mm-hmm. When it starts looking like corroded crap and pitted or it's dull, or, you know, it's kind of time to get rid of it. But the other really way to check is uh, how well does it wet? And so Tim mentioned that earlier, which is wetting, what Flux does is, how well does the solder take to the tip? And the thing is, like, tips are coated with special metals. I mean, I'm not going to get into that because it's a little bit crazy. But the, the idea is that they're plated so that solder sticks to them well. So when you start, when you get your iron up to temperature and you tap a little bit of solder to it, and it just sits there in a ball in the end, even after you've tried cleaning the thing, mm-hmm. yeah, just throw it out. Go get a new tip. That that's kind of an, another one is if, if you see it beating up on the end, like it's not it's not um, a nice flat uh, puddle on the end of the iron. Um, and a lot of it, it, this is a tricky part because it a lot of it does depend on the tip. But let's say we're talking about a big wide flat chisel. Yeah, we'll just keep it narrowed down to a, just a standard chisel. Yeah, tip. just a just a standard chisel tip. Um, the big thing you're going to start seeing is that if it was square at one t- point or it was rectangular at one point and now it's kind of rounded out on the edges or on the corners, that's a good indication it's it's not working so well. Um, you'll see big holes and pits out of it. You know, just think about Oh, dude, if you've gotten to that part, you have pushed your luck so much farther than you should have. Okay, so now I've also heard people say you can just sand that sand that off and you'll be good as new. Well, if you're the engineer and the master technician are going to start throwing tomatoes. No, I, I, I mean, there, there's, there's, you're talking about, um, you're getting into like the reconditioning of the tips and that, and that's fine. That's, that's a perfectly good, uh, thing to talk about. Um, because a lot of people are really confused about it. And, and the main thing that I can tell you is, is on a really cheap set that, you know, um, I mean, you get like five tips for 15 bucks or something like that, you know, some little crappy Weller knockoff um, type of a guy, you know, you can, you can sand those down. They have uh, what they call tip tinners or tip, you know, it's like a tip reconditioner or something like that. Kind of looks like, uh, you know, like gray chalky stuff. It's not like solder, but um, basically what you're supposed to be doing is you, you, throw the tip in there and it's super duper abrasive, like really, really abrasive, like more abrasive than sandpaper is by itself because you're adding the heat and that abrasive material in there. And it's, it's essentially sanding the end of your tip. If you have a good, yeah, cause the quality, idea is you're trying to go like corrosion and everything else off. Yeah. If you've got a good quality iron, never, ever, 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 ever use tip tenor. Never. Don't even, you're just going to don't even stuff. throw that stuff in the trash. If you have a trash iron, then go ahead and use tip tinner. It's going to make a trash iron go away really fast. Um, yeah. But the the better way, something that would be a much better improvement would be stop using wet sponges. Don't use a wet sponge. Use brass wool. Corrosion. Use brass wool. Not not necessarily for corrosion. Brass wool is the awesome. I mean, I, I agree. Yeah, corrosion is bad because your heat and water, that's a bad combo. But... The, if you're using brass uh, brass wool, the best thing about brass wool, it's super duper cheap. You can buy that that stuff everywhere. It's like a little Brillo pad. You know, it's super shiny. The the good thing with that is it gives you that abrasiveness to get all the gunk. And you're talking about like the all the the residues and the burnt on flux and things like that. Yeah. Um, you know, um, I had to remove some conformal coating off of one of our, board, of our boards this week. And, you know, by the time I'm done melting and chiseling all this garbage off of my board, my tip was completely gone. I have a JBC iron at work. 
this is the best that you can get. This is the best money that can buy. And my tip was completely unusable. And I went back over to that little brass wool brush, two or three little swishes in there. And guess what? Tip came out brand new. Perfect. Yeah. And the, the big sticking point too is the brass is softer than the plating that's on the tip. Exactly. So you're not going to be abrading it off. Yeah. It's a less noble metal. So you're, you're getting the abrasiveness to get the gunk off of it, like the, the heat and the, that tip sliding through that brass wool is going to do a really good job of cleaning off the tip. But then it's also going to get into every little nook and cranny and crevice that you've got on there. Um, and it, it should help clean up your iron. Like I said, Get rid of your wet sponges. Stop using paper towels. I used to do that. You, you I mean, yeah, it works in a pinch to clean it, but it, it doesn't – it's not going to peel the carbonized crap off the tip. Yeah, and, it, and it, it probably will end up adding more deposits onto your iron, which is kind of why I've just learned, dude, get rid of it. Go out there and buy some brass wool. Yeah, it works in a pinch, but the brass is super cheap on Amazon. It is. You can get like three of them for like two bucks or something like that, but – I, I really, really, I wish I had known that. I wish somebody had given me that knowledge of, hey, dude, get some tacky flux, um, good name brand tacky flux like Chip Quick and a brass brush. And and you can still stick with your crap iron. You can still use a garbage iron. You can use a great iron. It doesn't make a difference. What really matters is knowing your temperature and knowing where you're at as far as temperature wise goes. Doesn't worry. Don't worry about power. but Worry about what your actual temperature is. Get some decent flux in there and clean the darn thing when you're done. And the joint itself, which we haven't gone into that yet, but we'll talk about that in a little bit. All right. So, well, so hang on. So, 10 gauge wire, you're soldering your 10 gauge wire up yes, and you have the ability to set your temperature. Where do you think you want it to be? All right. So, uh, it's, it, there's. Well, hold on now. What kind of solder do you have? No, no, no. Not. Not necessarily the solder. Um, well, solder matters, and how, you know, I mean, how big is the wire, right? I mean, because it's going to pull heat out. What kind of tip is it? Well, um, okay. So, as far as your temperature range goes, all right. So th this is kind of just a guideline, and and you don't have to use it as an absolute, but this is this is generally what I found to work, and it works really well. So your normal range, your normal temperature range for soldering, like really small board stuff, components, like let's say you have a V-bar. Somebody was talking about a V-bar and their little connector was getting loose on it or about falling off. You don't want to hit that thing with 900 degrees of temperature. So your normal temperature should be anywhere from 500 to 554 degrees or 260C to 290C. Um, you know, if you want to be on an elevated range, like you need, hey, the, the solder just isn't melting or the the base, you know, like you're you're trying to get some heat down into the base of the metal and it's just not melting. And even if I hold it for five minutes and it's still hard as a rock and it doesn't it doesn't wet, it doesn't melt, you can bump up a little bit higher. You'd be at an elevated range, you know, anywhere from 550 degrees up to about 650 degrees. A lot of people really go to like 630 degrees and they just stay there. I'm not saying that that's a bad range. Um, when I went through my IPC class, that's what they set you up at. They said 630 degrees, boom, and we did everything with that. We did tiny little wires, little itty-bitty uh, 0402 size components, all the way up to the wires and the, the little bend connectors that we had to do. So 
you know, in that in that middle range, like I said, 555 to 650 degrees is probably where you want to be. Like if you guys, just as a general user, you can be in that range. Don't go over that. Try to God never go over 650 degrees if you can help it. Then that's probably where you want to be. Um, you know, if you're going up into the extreme range, what I would consider the extreme range is anything 650 to 750 degrees. That's extreme. That's you're talking, you are destroying stuff. You're not doing yourself any good by going higher than that because you're melting your insulation on all of your, it doesn't matter if you're on silicone, like silicone, I think starts to melt at like 600 something degrees. And that's, what's coating your wires. That's what's protecting your machine. And here you're basically just cooking that off. You know, that's that's like melting all the oil in your pan and then your dinner getting stuck straight to the pan because there's no lubricating oil to dissipate that heat. But this is very much the same thing. You don't want to go up to that level. And then what I would consider damaging, like, would be, you know, like 750 degrees up to 900, 1200 degrees. You're, you're straight up. You're just straight up destroying stuff at that point. So if a little bit is good, a whole lot may not be better. A whole lot is never better. <laughs> it, it, it will give, I, I will say this, with the caveat of it will give you the appearance that you are getting what you want, right? So, yeah, it, hey, a little bit more heat is going to eventually make it melt. Um, and there are very, very specific circumstances where, hey, you know what? I tried on this range. And you've got just this massive heat sink, um, you know, and, and a heat sink is just something like a big chunk of metal or a board that is really, really super duper efficient. It's got a big set of fins on it or something like that. Um, like, say, you're you're uh, doing the FETs on a charger or on, a, on an ESC, like I've had to do some of those um, where, man, no matter what you do, no matter how big of a tip you get, um, no matter how much flux you put on that thing, no matter all that. And you're just like, dude, I just, I got to cook this thing off of here. And that's the only way you're going to do it. Yeah, you'll, you'll get it out of there, but more than likely you're destroying it in the process. Putting something on, like, like, let's say you're trying to take something apart. Sure. You're not worried about destroying it anyways. You can crank the heat. Who cares? I'm specifically talking about putting something together, you know, something that's connected to something that you care about, like your $800 Contronic. 200 you know um your 300 you know uh esc you don't you don't want to destroy what's inside of that guy it can probably take all that temperature but your best bet is to learn how to keep your temperatures as low as you possibly can um and and that's the that's that balancing point that people are have a really hard time with they're like oh you know like they want to get in hit it with solder like for a half a second and then take the solder away because they think, oh, well, you know, hey, man, when I crank it through the roof, I can hit it really fast. It melts really, really fast. And I take my iron out of there really fast. Yeah, good on you, man. It melted, but you also just destroyed your chip. You also, you, you destroyed the front end of your drive system because you thermally shocked the living crap out of your feds. And they are now micro cracked inside of there. So guess what? Yeah, your your ESC is going to run for maybe 100, 150 cycles. And then all of a sudden, you're just going to be like flying along and boop, bye, poof, it's gone. Uh, seen it plenty of times. 
and and that's the, that's the that's the side that I'm also trying to warn against. I'm not. It's this is all latent damage. It's stuff that you won't know that you did bad to it until way down the line. Um, and that's uh, you know, and I'm not trying to warn everybody off of used gear, but you know. Like if, if you're going to go buy something from somebody, you might want to know how well they knew how to solder, <laughs> you know, um, and, and, and you can look at stuff and you can kind of figure out whether or not they did it, or you can look at it and go like, man, that's jank as crap, man. I'm not buying that, you know, which you can do in person. But if you're doing online sales, eh, you might want to have them like, Hey man, take a picture of the connector for me, <laughs> you know, pull that, pull that housing off of there. Let me see what your solder joint looks like. <laughs> but, um, but in general, it's like I said, if, if you're taking it apart, you can use high heat. It won't really matter as much. You don't, you know, because you're just trying to get it apart really quick. That's cool. Um, I don't recommend it. But when you're putting stuff together, try to use low heat as possible. TLDR heat is generally going to be breaking things. So minimize it. Yep. Cool. And then something else, uh, something else that, that, uh, we probably should have talked about when we when we first first started talking was um, you know like the the basic operation like when you're when you're actually going to stick the iron on to something um, something that they went over with us was the counts um, and counts are are great because they they really do work they slow you down they they keep you at a good rhythm when you're trying to put your joints together. And what that rhythm means is like, okay, so you, you go ahead and you apply your flux onto the, the solder joint and you get that nice and coated. You get it everywhere you need to. Okay. So then you're going to take your, um, you know, your soldering iron or you're going to apply heat to the joint. And what you want to do is as you apply the joint, the heat to the joint, you count one, two, three. Then you stick the solder wire in there, your, your solder that you're, blowing into the joint and you know you pull off like a one or two inch trigger which is like basically you pull out like a length that's about an inch or two of your solder in between the other finger like your left hand and as you're feeding that in you do one two three take that solder away you hold it for three more seconds one two three then you take the iron away you count three more seconds one two three before you touch anything all right so real fast it should be iron on one two three feed wire one two three let the seat the heat soak in one two three take the iron away let it cool one two three about 12 seconds and it doesn't make a difference whether you're talking, you're doing a 0201 size component that you can't even see without a microscope, or you're doing a 12 gauge wire. About that timing works really, really well. Um, and we'll go into the, you know, the thickness of the solder wire that you're using or the feed wire that you're using. Um, Cause that, you know, like if you have too thin of stuff, three seconds worth of it is gonna basically just put one drop onto it. If it's like, you know, I'm sure we've all seen the guy at the field just feeding foot after foot of razor thin wire yeah, into a 12 gauge wire. Yeah, if you're doing like 15 thousandths, which is 0. 0.015 inches compared to 0. 0.065 diameter wire, um, you know, it, it has to be appropriate to the joint. If you've got 10 gauge wire, then you don't want to try to feed 
15 thousandths thickness wire into it. You need to get some bigger 50 thousandths or 60 thousandths, you know, thicker solder wire. Um, but, you know, in general, that timing should work. And after a while, you get into a rhythm, you know, okay, well, hey, I've got a little bit thinner stuff. Say I've got like 40 thousandths or 32 thousandths thick wire. And I'm sorry, I don't know the millimeter crossover. Um, but that's a little bit thinner than your 65 would be. And you're doing a big 10 gauge wire, you know, yeah, you would have to feed a lot more. You'd have to feed it a little bit faster, but in general, you know, you should be able to do your timing. And the, and the, the main thing is, like I said, the reason why you want to do the timing is you're trying to let the joint soak up the heat. Um, you know, if you think about your joint, your solder joint, it's, it's really cold. Like, um, you know, cold metal room temperature metal is hundreds of degrees less than that hot iron tip so you got to remember by the time you stick that iron tip on there it has to melt all of that metal within that area and that all that other metal in the area is basically like sitting in a bucket of ice by comparison so it takes time for that stuff to get up to temperature and it has to melt all the way throughout and that's why i was saying earlier about having visual aids or having like little you know, those little binocular goggles that you can put on or having a microscope if you can really swing it. Um, but you can actually watch that stuff happen underneath the microscope and you can actually see it go from that hot point right on the iron. You can actually watch it melt away from the iron. You can see it spread out and where it liquefies and then does that T2000, you know, deal where it's like all turns to that liquid metal, you know, and then when you take the iron away, you can actually watch it go from the outside and harden until it gets to the center where it goes back down to where it's a solid again. And it's pretty neat to watch, but you'd be surprised how many, you know, how many milliseconds it takes for it to go both directions. You know, when you first apply, boom, you're waiting for it to heat up. And sometimes it can take a really long time. It's just like, come on, dude, go, 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 go. But the problem is a lot of guys will think that they've got it melted and they'll already start shoving in more wire. Well, that wire is adding more surface area. You're adding more material to it. You're basically throwing ice cubes into your boiling pot. So you're cooling it down that can drop your entire joint below that eutectic value. And then next thing you know, you got a cold solder joint and you're like, man, I'm, I'm, I'm feeding in. And then my wire breaks off on me or whatever. And you got like little wires sticking out of it. You know, the solder wire sticking out of your joints, it gets all hairy looking. Um, and then you can't get any of that to melt. And that's why I said is, is that's where um, tip choice will start to come in. You'll have to start playing with your tip choices or your, know, your size choices. Um, but knowing your temperature is really, really going to come in handy right there. And, and like I said, the other thing is if you're having a hard time getting your solder to melt, throw some more flux on there. <laughs> Usually you want to be kind of conservative with it because you, you have to clean that off when you're done. But a lot of times adding a little bit more flux on there, if it starts to look dry, if, it, if all of a sudden it's just metal and there's no goop on there, you know, uh, pull the iron away, let it cool off for a second and apply a little bit more flux and then go back into the joint and try it again. You know, but a lot of people get impatient. They want to jump in. They want to hit it really fast and get right back out because they're like, Ooh, it's starting to burn my fingers. Well, if it's burning your fingers, buddy, you're, you got temperature way too high or you're, you're just got something wrong with your technique and you just need to, you need to practice. You need to practice a little bit more than just once every 
six months or once a year, you know, when you get a set of new batteries in, because your first battery is going to suck. By the time you get to your sixth battery, you might be, you know, kind of halfway decent at it. <laughs> um, but it also can't hurt to go back and redo your first solder. You know, like if you have six batteries you're setting up or five batteries, you solder them all up, go back to your first one, take that connector off and put a new one on it. You know, how much is a connector? Like a dollar, two bucks, five bucks, you know? Um, but that's good practice. It's a good way to stay in practice. And for people, people that get their iron and it doesn't matter if it's a, a crappy stick iron that you just plug it in the wall. It could be a 30 watt, you know, radio shack special. If you don't practice with the thing, you're not even going to know how that iron works, let alone going out and buying some high end one or even a mid grade or cheap one. Um, you know, you should still learn how that iron operates. And if that's the only one that you're going to own, the only one you're going to use, you probably should know how it works. So, Tim, yep. can we back up just a second? Um, sure. A, a regular regular guy is going to take, take his connector, and let's just take an EC5, for instance, right? Yeah, yeah. So we've got this bullet, and we've got to get it. It's, it's, it's a big piece of brass or sure. whatever it is. And you've got a big piece of wire, let's just say, I don't know, 10 gauge. Mm-hmm. We've all been there where we'll, we'll, here, like, say we use a little set of helping hands to hold the, the connector yep. and the other part of the helping hand to hold the wire and we get it set in there. Then you take your soldering iron and we don't know the temperature. We just know it's, you know, it's a stick iron that 90% of these guys are buying. And I say 90%, but let's just say 75% of these guys go out and buy a stick iron. They throw it on there. They've got a solder. They don't know anything about flux. They've got some resin core solder, which we haven't even talked about. Yep. But- they're, they put that on there, and they can't get the whole thing hot enough to get the solder to melt. They're holding the solder on there. It's not getting hot. The wire's heating up. The connector's getting hot, but the solder's not melting. Then all of a sudden, it does melt. The, the solder moves up the wire, right? Mm-hmm. So their wire gets really stiff, but it's still not filling the cavity. It, it, it does exactly what you're talking about. It cools off. Um, yep. You've got this heat sink. You know, with the with the helping hands on the on the connector, cooling it off. The guy's frustrated. He can't get it to flow. He can't get it to connect. He says, Fuck it, and he flies it anyway. He gets it stuck. You know what I mean? <laughs> yep. Yep. So he, it's it's stuck. It must be good enough. Um, he's got this. You know, the crap from the resin solder. You know, caked on there. It's not. You know, we've all seen those bad connections. But that level of of a frustration. Is you know, and I know you're talking about taking it to 500 degrees, letting it set. Mm-hmm. Well, at what point, if that's not working, and you're saying just add more flux, is that the is that the ticket it, to get no, that to keep from overheating the wire? You're talking about big wire, big connector, you know? Yeah. Um. So the the flux should be helping to wet the solder. Okay. So in that in that in that particular situation, in 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 the way that I would probably attack that problem would be you need a larger tip, or you need to make more surface contact with your connector. So I'll explain. So um, if you're looking at the end of your bullet connector, right? Um, you know, it's it's got that circle at the end with a little cup at the very mm-hmm. end, right? So what you want to do is you want to get a nice wide flat connector or uh, I mean a tip, right? And what you're going to do is you're going to basically put that on the rim of the connector of, of the actual brass connector, right? The EC5, mm-hmm. right? You've either got that sitting sideways or you've got it sitting down in like a little 
wood block or something like that. Um, mm-hmm. And so what you want to do is you want to stick that guy like on the edge of, you know, on that top rim. You know, this is one technique I've tried. Um, and what you want to do is you want to start filling that cup with some solder, right? You want to pre-fill that cup. You need to have some, you need to have some solder, some liquid solder down in that thing before you even bother bringing the wire in, right? So what you want to do is you, you're putting that iron on there and you're holding it, right? And you're feeding wire, feeding wire, feeding wire, right? Now what you can do is once you've got that cup kind of, you know, uh, fairly full or, you know, three quarters of the way full, what I would do is put down your solder wire and grab the actual wire you're trying to put in there, like your battery wire you know, positive Mm -hmm. or negative terminal. And then what you can do is then just take that wire and you hold that iron. You don't move that iron. You keep it dead still. You put your wire in your uh, battery wire down into the cup, and then you can actually watch it when it, when it starts to melt and you have to sit there and look down into it. You can't just shove it in there and, and think it's good. Because that's just going to create a cold solder joint, right? Yeah. Yeah. it, It can. So usually what will happen is people will try to shove it in there really, really fast. And what that's going to do is it's kind of like throwing ice into a grease basket or, you know, like in a, a, a bucket of grease or, or on the stove. It'll sputter and splurt and shoot stuff everywhere. You want to avoid that. What you want to do is you want to introduce it, you know, relatively slow. You don't want to just jam it in there. But you want to bring the wire in nice and easy and Put it down into the solder and and you can actually watch it start to melt up into the battery wire since that's mm-hmm. our example right and and that's why i said is that's why you got to watch your solder a lot of guys don't really watch the solder they're just they're just waiting for it to melt and then they think once they get melting that okay that's a green light go and it's like slow it down a little bit they're speedy you know should you should you still be adding solder to it when you put the the wire into the the cap the connector i don't recommend it and and like i said what what i was saying earlier was uh to repeat again was that you you hold the iron on the rim of that connector right and you're introducing heat you are spreading heat it's flowing into that connector right and you pick up your solder wire, your your filler, and you fill, 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 right? Once the cup is three-quarters of the way full or just about full, you've got all the solder that's going to go into that joint, right? Once that thing is is basically filled up, then you grab, you drop your solder wire and you grab your battery wire. And you're not touching that solder wire again. You're just grabbing your battery wire and you're setting it down in there. And like I said, this is easier to show you how to do it versus explaining it. Um, hey, Question, Tim. Yeah. Would you uh, tin the battery wire first before you uh, put it into the connector? Yes. You always want to tin your wires first. And and the reason why is um, you, wanna, you want both ends of the connection to have some kind of tinning done on it already. Well, the tinning process is, is also removing the oxidation because you're using flux. You, and I've got two like metals being melted together. Okay, yeah. let's, let's back up one more time. So people understand what tinning is Um, because I was about to ask that same question a little differently. But so if I've got wire, what is tinning? So tinning is uh, basically promoting wetting on the on the surface that you're trying to solder. You're trying to solder. Right. So how do I do that? Okay, so you would basically you you get out your stripper, your wire stripper, you know, and you you either 
A lot of guys will use like a razor blade. I don't recommend that. You can get a proper wire stripper, do that. Um, but you strip back, you know, um, roughly however much wire is going to go into your connector. Um, so like this example is the EC5 again. So what you can do is you can figure out how deep that cup is, right? And you want to basically strip back enough to get that all the way, the wire all the way into the cup. And then you want about an eighth of an inch more than that, as an example. Um, okay. you, you basically want to, you don't want the insulation to be in the solder. You want it to be back of, of just a little bit. You want to see some wire between the insulation and the cup, right? Okay. You never want that wire to be all the way down into your little solder blob. And there should be like a little Hershey Kiss solder blob, um, you know, where the wire is meeting the solder joint um, to have a, like a perfect joint. But you also want to have that little bit of separation, and that's for strain relief. And that will keep solder from wicking up into, you know, the the battery side, I guess you could call it, or into the mm -hmm. wire side. And and that will let your batteries, uh, your your battery wires remain flexible. And right. the main the main problem that you get with wicking and wicking is just when through um, you know through natural capillary action the solder the wet solder you know once it becomes liquidous will actually wick it'll like a straw it'll wick up inside of the wire and it'll actually pull it up and the the solder is going to chase the heat wherever it's going. Right. So as the wire heats up, the solder is going to move up the wire. Exactly. And you want to do everything you can to, to keep that to the absolute minimum or none whatsoever. Um, right. So oh, go, go ahead. I'm sorry, Tim. I didn't mean to interrupt. Oh, no. So there's there's a you know, there's like a, a maximum amount that is supposed to be allowable for that. And that, you know, it, it would be hard to enforce with like hobbyists, but it should be something that you get into the habit yourself. You're checking your wires. If your wires are nice and crispy underneath your insulation, you've wicked up too far and you need to try again. And this is where you might want to get some practice wire and just practice tinning. Um, and you just only want to put just enough on there to get solder in between the little wire strands themselves and not so much that it's running all the way up the thing and you've got an inch of hard, you know, hard wire underneath your insulation. It should remain flexy and loose and limber right so the idea is you're going to put some flux on the wire yep then you're going to heat the wire yep then you're going to add the add the solder mm -hmm. so that you just get the tip and you don't want enough on there so it's spreading the wire right so yep. you just want it and then and that's tinning the wire yep and you can tin the iron and uh, and what that means is basically you add the the or the uh solder to the iron tip and then mm -hmm. you get like a little blob of solder on the tip of your iron. And then you stick that on the wire. And that should basically be just enough to tin the wire. Even um, on a 10 gauge wire? Uh, you might have to add a little bit more. You're right. Um, they're, it, it's, it's size dependent. You know, if you're talking right, right. about a little tiny wire, one. Yeah, if you got a little 26 gauge wire, I mean, you basically just got to touch the very tip of that thing and it, it'll go right up. I know when I was learning to do it, man, I could sit there and heat that up and then I could just feed solder in there. And all of a sudden I've got, yep. you know, a, a one inch long, hard piece of wire underneath, you know, the covering on the wire yeah. because you're just feeding solder in there. Yep. And that's not what you really want to do. Right. So exactly. 
you just want to get just enough in there to have solder on the wires, not mm-hmm. spreading the wires and not moving up the wire. Yeah. If I don't have enough temperature, if I'm putting my solder on there and I'm holding my iron on there and I'm putting, I'm putting the solder on and it's not melting or it's melting and it's sticking, right? Yeah. And it's not flowing. Does that mean I don't have enough flux? That, that could be an indication. I would say that's probably 90% of it. Um, and then what could be my other problem? So the other there, there's two things that I would be suspecting right away is that either a your temperature isn't high enough. Um, you don't have enough surface area on your tip um, mm-hmm. and which will we can talk about um, matching that up in a second. Um, okay. Either you don't have enough surface area, meaning you're maximizing the amount of surface area you're touching with your iron with the area you're trying to, to get solder to flow onto. Or your soldering iron is corroded all the heck, um, which is goes back to that brass wool thing. Um, you know, every pretty much every single time you pick up your iron, um, you should be cleaning the tip. And I mean, is as soon as you're as soon as you pick that thing up, and you're even looking at a soldering joint, your first instinct should be, I got to clean this thing off. And, right. um, you know, you do a joint, you add some solder, da, 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 da. As soon as you're done with that joint, clean the iron tip off. <laughs> I mean, you have to yeah. make it such a habit that it's like every single time. And yeah, I usually clean it as I set it down and then clean it right before I solder. Yeah. Well, um, you, yeah, that's, uh, that's a good way to do it. I was going to say that, um, uh, there's, there's more of the storage side, which we'd have to get into later. Like as right. you're turning your station off. We actually do want to retin the tip, and that's to right. that's to um, prevent corrosion on the tip of your irons. Right. So let's go back to Monty's other point where he talked about tinning the connector. Sure. Right. Let me tell you how I do it, and you can tell me what I'm doing wrong. Okay. Um, if I am, what I'll do is I'll take that solder, I'll dab some solder, or even drop a little ball of solder in there, mm-hmm. and I'll melt it and rub the soldering iron around the side so the whole thing is covered in solder. Yeah. I don't usually puddle it like you're talking about. I'll then set the wire right on the edge, hold the soldering iron there, and then as the as I see the solder start to melt, I'll mm-hmm. feed in more solder and then push the two together. Yeah. Um, where you're talking about melt it, puddle it, stick it in, wait mm-hmm. for it to finish puddling, right? Yeah. Well, you're. Um, I, I see what you mean. So that what I'm specifically talking about is you're you have two hands. You have, let's right. say you're holding the iron in your left hand um, right. only because most people are right-handed and, and when you're, when you're doing delicate work, you want your dominant hand usually to be handling the delicate, hard to do stuff. And the right. one that just needs to sit still and hold things, you just want it to hold stuff. Right. Right. And right. so that's why I gave the example. If you're holding the iron if in your left hand, you're, connector is sitting still in a in a stand or a vice or something like that you're basically putting the iron down on the edge of the cup and you're just letting that heat flow into your connector right and let it sit there for a minute if it's a big connector or it's sitting on a metal plate and you're trying to get heat to go in there guess what it's all getting wicked away from there so you're gonna have to wait a little while right and then or not, it won't get there at all if it's a big connector and a yeah, big heat yeah. sink. Yeah. Yep, that's true. Um, it, it's possible. And and like I said, then then you'd either need a larger tip or, you know, throw some more flux on there or something. Or but, put it in a piece of wood or hold it with something yep. different. Yeah, yeah, exactly. That's yeah. All, all really, really good points. Um, and then you're just, you're feeding that cup. You're, you're putting solder into that cup. 
And the, like I said, the reason why I like to do it that way is it gets all of the solder that's going to be in the joint already there. You don't need mm-hmm. to continue to feed afterwards because remember, you're going to have to set something down or you're going to have to feed it in with your mouth or, you know, like hold it in your teeth and, and feed <laughs> it in there and get your toes out and hold it. You look like in down Periscope where the guy's like, <laughs> you know, trying right. to put the radio on and, ah, you know, getting shocked to death. So, right, right. so, so same kind of idea. What you're trying to do is minimize the amount of movement that's going on. And if you don't have another buddy sitting there helping you that can feed wire in for you, you need to have all that, all that solder already in your joint. And, right. and well, let me ask you this. Hmm? What about having, and I'm not saying this because I've, I've seen this, all these different methods used and I've used them myself. Mm-hmm. Um, but what if the wires tend, the cup is tend, the wire is set into the cup then you heat both at the same time till the wall f- starts to flow and then feed more in so that you've got something holding the wire already in the cup. Yeah. You've already got the cup, you know, in something yep. you're heating those two together and then feeding in the solder as yeah. the, as you see it start to melt. Yeah. You're, you're talking about backfilling and that's perfectly fine. That's, that's actually um, a lot of times. Okay. My method where I, I described it at first, uh-huh. uh, especially on an eight gauge, 10 gauge wire, 12 gauge wire, you know, those are Mm -hmm. pretty big. Um, A lot of times that cup isn't going to hold enough solder to be able to, to coat the inside of the cup and get in between the strands on that wire. So you might have to backfill. And, but like I said, the, the key to it is that even if you have to reheat your joint, you want to, you want to limit the amount of times you reheat a joint. Um, Sure. Sure. Cause that's that's going to start to wick, right? Yeah, well, so it's actually due to a property called intermetallic, um, like it's called intermetallics, and and what that means is is basically your 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 metals inside of your joint start to like mix together, and then after a while they stop having the ability to mix, and then you get that chalky. Um, clay-like stuff that it looks like cold lead versus yeah. shiny. Yeah, it's like it gets, clay. It's, yeah, it's I know exactly what you're saying. I know, you know exactly it's what clay, you're and you go to shove the iron in there, and you can't get that crap to melt. No matter how much temperature you put on mm-hmm. there, no matter how much flux you put on there, once you get to that clay state, oh my god, you're you're having a nightmare of a day when that happens. <laughs> and it right, can so just start so over so fast. Yeah, you you want to start over, but that can happen so fast. Um, that that a new person I would get overwhelmed by it. Um, mm-hmm. There are ways to recover from it, um, and and a lot of times that really just means that you need to dwell a lot longer on it. You know, you you actually want to add, you want to reintroduce more new fresh solder to the joint, and you want to overflow the joint. You want to put so much solder in there that it can't help but put the heat into the joint. And then that stuff will finally start to break up because it's got more stuff to dilute that nasty gray clay crap. Mm-hmm. Um, and then once all of that dilutes, your solder joint will melt and then yank it out of there and then clean all your solder back out and start over. That part can be a little difficult for most people to get to. Yeah, because I mean, we're, we're using EC5 as an example. If you overflow an EC5 onto the edge of it, you're never going to get it back into the connector, into the plastic connector. Once you fill that little groove up with solder, so, that, so you don't want a lot of overflowing, right? Yeah, yeah. So there, there is a way to fix that, and it's called solder braid. 
Um, for the people that aren't mm-hmm. used to what solder braid is, it is the magical undo every screw up that you ever <laughs> had in your life. It is. He's not wrong. It is the no. godsend to the, somebody who's soldering, especially EC5s, because I know exactly what you mean about God. I've destroyed this connector, throw it in the trash, and start over. Yeah, mm-hmm. goop gets all over the outside of it. So yeah. the deal with solder braid is you can get it. It's it's you know like Menda solder braid or or you know um, forgot there there you can you can find it on um, you know like on eBay and stuff like that or on uh, Amazon. I bought it on Amazon. Yeah. But it comes in different sizes. They have like a number one size, which is really, really, really thin for like little. Yeah, it's like I've got two zero one. You know, let me find the bag actually. And then you can get a mix. You can get number one, number three, number five. Um, Mm -hmm. The the downside is the bigger the stuff gets, the harder it gets to use. That really, really thin stuff really sucks it right out of there. But it it you go through a lot of it yeah you'll go through a ton of it yeah you get like five feet of it or you get 25 feet you know then you know 25 feet should last you a while but if you got really thin stuff and you're doing big wires you're gonna you'll smoke through that pretty quick yeah here we go i found the box of it so yeah for like um real thin like 0603 resistors we've got uh 25 thousandths so pretty pretty skinny crap works pretty well. Um, a little bit bigger. That's, that's neat, Mike. But what size would you recommend if you're cleaning up an EC5? Yeah, there you go. Yeah, zero six and zero threes are very tiny, dude. Well, hold on, kid. I'm getting to that part. Stain. I would say number three. Thank you, Tim. Yep. <laughs> yeah, seventy-five thousandths is what I have here. As a bonus. If you can find some that has flux in it already, that will make it that much better at working to get that flux or to clean up your mess. Oh, I didn't even know that was an option. Would number three be the same as three millimeter? Um, I'm not sure. Okay. Uh, just uh, just in general, the, the, the way to remember it is number three is Goldilocks. Number one <laughs> is like Little Bear. Number two is Mama Bear, and number three is Big Papa Bear. <laughs> Big Papa Bear is a real pain in the neck to work with, but if you really got to get some stuff out of there and it's a lot, you know, it'll clean up a big mess, but it's a pain to use. So. Yeah, because I, I looked around on Amazon, uh, I type in number three, and I it instantly starts popping up three millimeter uh, wick. That's a yeah. uh, 0.12 inch in width. Uh, point, point 0.12, 120,000. Uh, yeah. I don't know what my, I think what millimeters, what, 54 or something like that? 54,000? Hmm, let's try. I don't, I, don't, I don't have my computer in front of me to cheat. <laughs> There's some magical conversion between, you know, metric and freedom units. <laughs> <laughs> it sucks because I'm, I'm really torn between the two, man. A lot of times I like doing higher temperatures in Celsius. It's just easier because, you know, like a little number change means a huge change in actual temperature. Um, where if you're sitting there on a Fahrenheit setting and you got to go from like 550 up to 650, man, you're sitting there holding that button for five minutes, man. <laughs> hey, Tim, I'm not sure where the early ad asked this question at, so I'm just going to ask it now. But is, is there a lifespan to connectors, like reusing connectors, the bullet connectors? Not really. Um, the the thing with the connectors is that they are going to they're probably going to outlast your life um the only the only thing that would cause a connector to really go bad would be your mating cycles and what a mating cycle is is exactly what it sounds like the more times you hook them up and take them apart um 
connectors are usually rated for a specific um, mating cycle number. I don't know what that is for, you know, a five millimeter bullet or a four millimeter bullet, but um, general rule of thumb on that is if they're, if they're, you know, they should take a little bit of force to push together, not too much. They should take a little bit of force together. And after you've put them together, you know, 20 or 30 times, um, if you start to notice a significant drop off after that, you might want to just ditch your connector at that point, hundred cycles, 150 cycles. It's really up to you. And, and what you feel is, is good. Somebody brought up Dean's connectors earlier. There's a bane of my existence for forever. Um, but those would work pretty good. And I flew a 700 size with Dean's connector. So I'm guilty as sin of that. <laughs> they do work. Yeah. They technically do carry 60 amps of current for each one of them. So, I, I don't, you know, and you're talking about continuous. You're not talking about peak. You're talking about peaks on helicopters. Yeah, you got a 200 amp peak, but it's for, you know, three microseconds. Come on, that's <laughs> that's not right. enough to heat up your joint for anything. It, yeah, it looks good on a graph, but eh. <laughs> yeah. Another thing that plays into the life of the connector is the pitting that happens um, as you get the shorts across the connectors. You connect them, yeah. connect them. And that's and that's where so. it's nice to have those anti-spark things or have yeah, a, yeah. have a anti-spark resistor built into it. But most people are just so lazy they don't they don't bother with that. Um, yeah. you're more than likely going to destroy or smoke or crash your stuff before those wear out from wear that. Out. Yep. I you agree. Know, a Dean's. Yeah. A Dean's. Those were just a very, very bad design in my opinion. Um, horrible. And, and those guys just, they got beat up just on their own. You know, the way they mm -hmm. were friction fit together, there's just a bad design where with the bullet connectors or with, you know, the basket, the, the little basket connectors, they touch so many places at the same time that you don't really get as much arcing in them. I haven't really seen any damage and I've, I can look at them with a microscope. I've never seen them mm -hmm. fall apart other than when you straight up short the wire and you might, you might bust off one of the bird cages and that's it. Otherwise yeah. it's the thing just go. And even then the stupid thing still got so much tension on it. <laughs> People just yes. keep on using the dark thing. I've seen it with cars, you know, like RC cars, they use a lot of the same connectors. And those guys will just straight up, I, I don't know, they, it's a whole other world being around car guys, but they will abuse their stuff beyond all, all reason because, you know, it's a car. You know, if it dies, whatever, I got to go out there and pick it up and do the walk of shame. Um, and I've seen them really, really just mangle connectors and they keep on working, you know, and like, all right, well, I wouldn't let it go. But, you know, for an average Joe, eh, it might be fine. Right. To 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 go back onto a point, one of the ways that I've cleaned up the the side of uh, bullets that I've soldered, like five and six millimeter bullets, especially for like EC fives, is uh after it's um after it's it's hardened and everything's set, is uh I just use an exacto knife or end a file and clean it up so I can fit it in the uh, the plastic housing. Yeah, and that yeah. and that does work. The, the main thing you're worried about with that is just deforming it or, you know, you're not going to hurt the outside of the connector. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. This is just on the outside of the connector so that I get that shape back that, that fits into the blue EC5, you know, uh, housing or yeah. on like uh, – or, or there's the uh, castle used to do those green housings that yep. was uh, mm -hmm. like a six millimeter or uh, – these days I use a progressive RC connector that has a housing that's – you know, specific to progressive RC. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, I just take a razor blade in a file, clean it up, 
I find, you know, the, the 6040 solder I'm using is, it's, once it's hard, it's still pretty soft. It's not, yeah, yeah. it's, it's not, hard, it's not hard like steel. <laughs> yep. And and then the other thing too, is that they're, they're, uh, I, I will give the advice. So I'll add on to that. Um, there are sometimes when you have drippy drippy on the outside of your connector and you go in there with the wick and you're trying to get off there, holding that wick on there and getting it to leak or you know the getting the heat to penetrate through the braid and then the surface of the side of your connector sometimes that can be a real pain in the neck like and you can have just like a couple little little slivers of of solder drops on there that you just can't get off to save your life man just get out the razor blade and do it (laughs) you know real mechanical uh try that that's good enough you know um, I'm not going to discourage the idea of trying that. Just be careful with your insulation on your wires. Don't cut anything. That's, that's I've actually thing. unsoldered the connector trying to get the stuff off. Yeah, before. yeah, exactly. And that's why I said is that yeah. sometimes you actually do more damage by trying to clean up the joint afterwards, and it might be better just to, you know. Yeah, um, yeah and- on on the outside, I usually cut away from the silicone jacket. I usually cut, yep. cut towards the, the tip yep. um, and away from myself in general because, you know, it's an exacto knife and you always uh, seem to manage to stab yourself with one of those in the finger. <laughs> yeah. Um, so when I'm putting my connector together and it's one of the ones like, say, like like a uh, XT60 or or the Danes or whatever, and, you know, you got the, the, the pieces already in the housing. When I'm melting the piece out of the housing, it means my heat's too high and I just need to turn it down and go slower, clean something yeah. up, add flux or something. Yeah, so um, is it, that that's a good example of when it is too hot. But even when you've got it at normal temperatures, what I do is I'll actually take the other the other connector side and put it on there. Because what it's going to do is, number one, it's going to make sure that your connectors stay concentric. Um, so they're, they're both in the same orbit and the one on the other side is not going to be subjected to nearly as much heat. So even if you melt your housing around that, that connector on, let's say you're doing the male side and you've got the female side connected on the other side of it, it's not going to transfer all of that heat over to the other side. There'll be a portion of it, but the two together are going to hold that connector. So you don't end up melting it out of the housing. Now, Again, I would say that if you're if you're to the point where you're melting the connector, um, then the the two choices are either reduce the amount of of heat that you've got if possible, or reduce your dwell time if you can. And that's the one time where I'd actually recommend, hey, kind of put a little pep in your step and move a little faster. But that three second rule I talked about earlier, that one two three one two three one two three, if you stick with that guy, more than likely. You're never going to introduce more heat than what it will take to get that solder in there, get a good solder blob going, and then pull all your heat out of there and it cools off and you're skippy. You know, you're good to go after that. Cool. That's right, because the XT60s, the the bullets built into them and you can't take it out. Yep. Yeah, yeah I haven't I haven't melted one since I started putting the two connectors together. Oh, you can take them out. I, I promise you can get them out. Oh yeah, oh, I'm sure you can. <laughs> nope. and and that's where I'm speaking from experience too. I've melted the crap out of those things. So, yeah, so just because I'm Mister IPC certified badass solder guy, dude, that doesn't mean that I don't screw stuff up royally. Um, <laughs> you know, there, there's, there's, like I said, I never look at it like it's a bad thing. Like some people look at it like, oh man, I melted it, oh, I totally screwed it up, and I'm mad and I'm frustrated, and you know, they rage off and they quit. 
I I always look at it like, well, hey, that was a good science experiment. Mm, don't do that again. <laughs> you know, <laughs> and, and honestly, that's the best way to learn, man, is you don't don't go and try to fix something that's broken. Try to fix something that actually works, because when you're done with it, you take a wire off, you put the wire back on. And like on a servo would be a good example. You know, like a lot of people want to, you know, shorten their servo wires or something like that. What I do is go in there and take one solder, one solder joint off one. Don't take all three of them off of there because you might not get them back on. Take the one off of there. Melt that guy off. Take it off of there and melt it and put it right back on. Turn your servo on. Check it. See if it works. That's going to build your confidence up. And and a lot of guys want to go in there and be like zero to hero in 10 seconds. And, buddy, it ain't going to happen. <laughs> it's just like learning to fly. You got it. You got to hover. You got to get it off the ground. You got you know. Play around with it. Don't be scared. And a lot of guys are they they either don't have the time to do it. They get scared. They're like, oh, you know, I don't want to burn myself and all that. Dude, you got to do it, man. It's that's just part of it. So 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 the so the key is to go through every single helicopter you have and desolder one wire and try to put everything back together. <laughs> <Turn> that <laughs> <stuff out. laughs> so that 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 brings up a question, Tim. Of uh, you know, let's say I'm soldering like a, a servo wire back to the servo board internally. Mm-hmm. Um, what's a good way of applying flux so that I don't spread it all over the place and accidentally start joining, you know, the wires together as one? Won't hurt. I mean, you, you uh, with the tacky flux, you can basically just take like little tweezers or something like that, or a toothpick, and apply it. But in reality, um, it you want to use as little flux as you can because, like I said earlier, it's it just makes a mess. But okay. you really technically can't use too much. Um, you know, there in there is like I said, it's like that Goldilocks thing where you want to use enough, but you don't need to use too much. And and um, you know, a 15 cc syringe of that stuff is going to last forever for most people. So you can go crazy with it and glob it everywhere, and you're probably going to take you months to go through it. Um, or you can be super duper conservative and, and you can try to figure out what's the level that you need to have for that little blob. You know, like if you're looking at a servo connector, you're talking, that's, you know, like a little teeny tiny one or two millimeter long little strip of solder that's going to go on there. You just need enough to go over the top of the one. If it happens to touch the other one, it's fine. There's, there's enough surface tension in your solder where it won't, it shouldn't just jump over and bridge to the other one. Um, you know, sure. and that, that's where controlling where your tip is using a smaller tip is going to come in handy. Um, and that's a really a more of an advanced, uh, type of a thing. I don't recommend a brand, brand new guy to go out there and start tearing apart his servos. Um, but you know, if you got like a cheap crappy one, you know, laying around or one that, you know, works, but you don't trust it anymore, dude, go experiment with it. You're not going to hurt anything at that point. Yeah, I've 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 uh, I've had servo wires cut on RC cars, and uh, I was like, "Well, I've lost a servo. What do I got to lose now?" So who cares? Let's try it. <laughs> yeah. And 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 uh, real quick on that. Okay, so uh, uh, a lot of times you're going to open up a servo, and um, RC cars are are pretty bad about this. They have something called conformal coating that they put on there. It's like this rubbery kind of crap that goes on it, right? Um, a lot of times you got to get all that stuff off of there first. And um, a lot of guys will go in there with like a razor blade and just start hacking and chopping that stuff up. Um, honestly, you're better off just using a little, little bit of heat with your soldering iron and kind of just um, 
you know, get it to start breaking up a little bit and kind of push that stuff off around the joint. You're not trying to melt the metal in the joint yet. You're just getting it off of the end of the connector. And they do that for vibration, you know, protection for your wires. Um, but you got to get that conformal coating off of there. And a lot of guys like freak out about that. Like, Oh my God, I take all this stuff off. I don't know what the heck it is. Uh, conformal coating is nothing more than like rubber glue, you know? So, yeah. It's, it's says stuff that pretty much looks like rubberized uh, Elmer's glue inside yeah. there. Yeah, 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 exactly. Okay. It's and that's not something people should be scared of. The first time you see it, you might freak out, but I'm I'm just telling you as a person who's soldered a lot of crazy stuff, it's just conformal coating. It's not going to hurt for you to take that stuff off, and you shouldn't be like you know super duper scared of it. But you got to get it off of there. You got to have it completely off of your joint, just so that you can get the heat down in the joint to properly pull the wire off and put the wire back on. And then when you're done with it, like I said, if you're going to make this solder, you're going to make this servo run. And you want to, um, you know, you want to shorten your leads. Like, say, for instance, they come with like 15-inch long leads. You don't want to cut it down to six inches or something like that because you're putting it at 450. You know, okay, go ahead and pull one wire off, shorten it, you know. And then when you're done, just put some rubber glue, rubber cement over the end of it. As long as it's electrically inert and it's not going to conduct any electricity, you're, you're probably fine with it. Yeah. I think it's a good time to uh, remind people if you're playing around with servos uh, and you want to shorten your leads, ask your uh, servo manufacturer. They may not warranty it if you shorten it. Yeah. Because <laughs> uh, sometimes those servo leads are like, you know, tied to the length of the motor leads and all that. So um, I've asked before and certain manufacturers like, yeah, you cut it up and, and, and make it your, you know, custom length. We're not going to warranty it. I'm like, okay, thank you. Because <laughs> well, they may not be able to trust the person doing the work and they might cook something along the way, which is again, sure. earlier, somebody cooking at 900 degrees, you'll smoke that servo without even realizing it and it'll work. It'll, it, it's dead. It just doesn't know it yet. Um, so, no, that's a, that's that's great stuff about uh, about you know making sure you dwell on it you know the right amount of time and not too yeah. long and the right temperatures that's for sure. So uh, so something else that you guys uh, had brought up earlier, I think Rich said it was um, the uh, how you know how do you know how to hold on to it? Um, hand pressure. Um, a lot of times people get the amount of pressure on the tip of the iron wrong, um, and I, I probably should have thrown this in a little bit earlier but when you're talking about hand pressure we're talking about how much downward force are you putting onto your wire or connector or the solder joint that you're trying to create um you know you're you're not trying to saw through the thing with a machete you know a lot of times soldering is supposed to be delicate work you really want the heat to do the work that being said you do want to put down a little bit of pressure and by that i mean Basically, like you think about how much does the tip of your iron weigh? Like if you took it out and you put it in your hand and it weighs like an ounce or something like that, you want to put about an ounce of pressure on the joint. Um, you don't want to put pounds of pressure. You don't want to like grab the thing and stab it like it's Thanksgiving turkey. You're about to carve something up, but you want to have just enough pressure to where you're not moving anything. That's the key is you don't want to move anything while you're doing this, but you need to make good surface contact with where you're trying to get the heat to transfer into. And that's the entire point of soldering is all you're doing is you're taking the heat that's stored in the iron and that's being generated by the iron and you're putting it into the base metal in order to get that solder to melt so that the solder goes into that joint and it stays there and it doesn't stay on the iron. 
So if I'm using enough pressure to actually bend the tip, I'm using too much? Yes, sir. <laughs> Not saying I've done that. Yep. Don't know why I asked that. And I'm totally saying that I have done that. <laughs> and, <laughs> oh, me too. Honestly, That's where the question came from. Yeah. And, and honestly, I, I actually did, did a lot of, of testing with that because I'm, I'm expected to teach people how to do this stuff at work. And I get guys that have never, ever seen a soldering iron in their life. You know, we get summer interns and things like that. And I'm trying to show them how to, how to solder. And it's, you'd be surprised how hard it is to describe how to do this and then watch them. And they're just like, you know, they're just smash right through it. And they're like, well, what did you do, man? <laughs> like you're, mm-hmm. you're, you're 18 and you weigh 110 pounds. How did you break that in half? <laughs> I'm six, three and 250 pounds. And I've never done anything like that before. Jeez. You know, so like I said, it, your hand pressure is also another key factor. It's it's important, and it's another one where you really just got to learn how much pressure you need to have on there. Um, if you are having difficulty getting your joint to wet, and you feel like you've got a lot of really good surface area, you know, like the the iron is contacting a lot of good surface area, and it should be flowing, but it's still not flowing. You can try pressing a little bit harder, but if you press a little bit harder and it's still not changing, then I would revert back to I need more surface area. Um, and and something else that uh, going back to that EC5 thing again, um, your point about the bullet connector and and it's it's just not melting. Um, very cautiously, what I would say is if you're still not getting it to melt. Go ahead and get out your brass wool and clean off the tip. Get every bit of solder off the end of your iron. And then what I would do is I would I would put the flat side of that iron on the outside of that connector and, and you know, um, flat surface to the rounded flat surface on the side, like vertically on the mm-hmm. side of the connector. I wish I had a, a way to, to describe it better than this. Um, but you, you basically just stick that iron straight onto the side of that cup on the outside of it and then all that heat should transfer right on into that thing to be honest tim that's that's how i do my bullets is uh i just uh i I wet the tip of my iron Mm -hmm. and stick it right to the side of the bullet like your hand grabbing a a cup of water and then uh i'll take my solder wire and and put it down in the cup and yep. start, you know, start filling up that puddle in there till, yeah. you know, uh, experience has taught me how full to fill the cup. And then, yep. yeah, mm-hmm. I bring over my, my tinned battery lead or my tinned ESC lead and uh, I'll put it in there for a certain amount of time, watch it and just basically count for a moment, pull the solder tip and then just sit there and hold it for a bit. And at some point it all hardens up and, you know, I pull it out and start inspecting. Yeah. Now, the honest, the honest truth of the reason why I don't recommend that right out of the gates, like we said earlier, we're talking about somebody who has no experience at all. Um, the reason why I don't recommend that right out of the gates to somebody is number one: a lot of people don't know how to clean the tip off the iron, which is why I, I reiterated about the brass wool. Make sure that you get the tip clean before you touch anything on the outside because then that's just either a mess you're going to have to scrape off with a razor blade or you're going to have to get off with wire wick, right? Um, yeah. But barring that, if you're if you're competent enough to know, hey, yeah, this will work, that's more surface area. No matter how you slice it, more surface area is just going to transfer more heat. And the more heat, the better off you are as far as the temperature that you're supposed to be set to. 
Yeah. So I don't want to I don't want to dissuade anybody away from doing either one of those methods. I actually recommend trying both, but do it on a connector that you don't care about and and you're not worried about the joint actually performing work. Practice on it, try it out, try both ways. Um, one thing that I've seen a kind of a mistake I've seen people do is they'll try to stick the iron down into the cup. Well, if the <laughs> iron is in the cup, well, guess what, guy? You're not you're not going to be able to get the wire in there with the iron down in the cup because you're either going to have to pull the iron out, which all of a sudden your heat goes away, your solder joint hardens up, and then you go to put it in there. You're not getting the wire in, or you're going to have such a poor connection, or it's going to be such a cold joint that you're really not going to want to go that route. Um, I wonder. I wonder if that's how some of the cold joints I've I've witnessed is the way it was created. Is they had the iron in the puddle in the cup, yeah, and then they yank that iron out and stuff a wire in. Dude, I have seen guys do EC fives that way. They they heat the cup, melt the solder into the cup, yep. take the wire, take the solder iron out of the cup, and stick the wire into the cup. Yep. Oh god. And hey, hey Tim. So what I actually do is I I do the the iron in the cup to heat it up and then I'll uh, feed the wire, the wire in there, but then I will pull it out and put it on the side as I stick the wire, the, the actual wire, tinned yeah. wire in there. And that, that, so initially I do it, but I make sure that I'm still applying heat on the outer side of the, of the bullet before I put the wire and, in and there. And the only reason why I would say that's not the optimal way to do it is because you didn't clean the tip of the iron off while between those steps or I'm, a, I'm imagining that. Um, well, no, yeah, I, I do. Clean okay. It. Well, yeah, no, no. If you're, if you're, if you are tinning the cup, that's perfectly fine. And that what you're describing to me is that you were tinning it. You were basically sticking the iron down in yes. there. And there's nothing wrong with that. I mean, you're, you're basically getting heat down in there and you're feeding a bunch of solder in feed, 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 right? Your cup is half, three quarters of the way full. You don't want it to be full to the brim. Um, but you, no. you definitely want to get it down in there. Um, and then, and then you take the iron out, you clean off the tip or whatever, and then you go back and you stick it on the side. You, and they were reheating the joint. The main reason why, again, I wouldn't recommend doing that in general is that intermetallic stuff that you're going to get. You're going to get the intermetallic layer because you're Got heating, it. cooling, heating, cooling. You do that three or four times. And you're going to, yeah, I guarantee you're going to have an intermetallic in there. And especially if you have gold plating on your connectors, you know, like I might not be real gold plating. I don't know for sure, but um, that gold plating will cause, um, you know, separation in your joint and you won't know it until it's too late. It, it's long gone. <laughs> so hmm. I'm going to have to just try that just just to get that. um get that effect just constantly go back and forth back and yeah. forth back and forth until yeah. it happens and, and like i said i want to i want to see that I yeah see that. well you'd have to have you'd either have to have a microscope or an x-ray to see it yeah oh, it's, really? it's okay. super duper it's like microscopic itty bitty stuff and and all it does is you would you would have to basically cut the example in half and electron microscope check it so mike i'm coming to your house <laughs> yeah and and the only reason why i know is because i've done it I've, I've actually had to do that kind of uh, testing, destructive testing before. So, um, and you could read about it. Like I said, look up intermetallic um, with soldering and all that. And there's a whole deal on it, you know, and that, that's getting way down a rabbit hole as far as even, even for a big discussion like this. Um, but it's something that once you've heard it, it's in your head, you know, then you're, you're at your leisure to go and look that up a little bit later. So. Well, that's awesome. That's, 
I mean, I, I think that's most guys is they're trying to get their connector on the end of their wire, right? Yeah. And that's where we see the most failures. It's not, I don't think a lot of us are, you know, taking the wires off the inside of their ESCs or anything. Yeah. I mean, we, we do have to polo here, but, um, <laughs> yeah. you know, <laughs> most of us aren't doing that. So, yeah. And, uh, I know that in in the list that you've got, you want you or you said earlier you wanted to get to talking about um, the different types of flux and yeah, but okay. they were and how to use them properly. You want to move on to that or yeah, yeah, you we think can that's go a good to thing to go to. All right, so um, so to bring back of what flux is, you know, like hey, what what's the quintessential question? What does flux do? You know, we've already touched on it a little bit. But the main thing is it re- it removes surface oxides, you know, grit, grime, um, you know, stuff off of metal surfaces is, is the main thing. And and the main point is it's supposed to improve the quality of your intermetallic bond. Um, you know, and the intermetallic is you have lead and tin mixed with gold plating or whatever or nickel, you know, whatever, whatever wire you're going on to, a silver wire or something like that, just meant to make that bond as strong as absolutely possible. Um, and it's just meant to help. And the, the more oxidation you prevent or the more oxidation you remove, the better your joint is going to be simple as that. So, uh, with that out of the way, (laughs) so, (laughs) you know, there's, 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 uh, there are a couple of different flux types, and then there's the activity level of that. Now this is, this is kind of getting real deep into, more of like the engineering side, but it's worth at least hearing. And then you're welcome to go and research it on your own. Um, you know, so there, there, you have the three different types of flux. Um, you have low solids, no clean, meaning it doesn't have a whole lot of stuff in it. Um, you know, they, they break down into a couple of different categories themselves. You know, they have like different bases. There's alcohol based, water based, rosin, resin. Um, you know, sometimes it can contain resin or not. Um, and the word rosin and resin are basically interchangeable. So don't get wrapped around the axle on those. Um, <laughs> and then you're going to get into full rosin slash resin fluxes. You know, you have full or high solids. It got a lot of crap in it. It's basically tree sap. Let's put it that way. Right. Um, and then you get into what's called water soluble. Like a lot of people will, you'll see that on the little flux pens, you know, water soluble. Um you know, and it's usually somewhere between a low and a high solid, you know, um, but we'll get into some more of what all that means here in just a second. So, um, you know, the, the, the next part of that was what is, what's the activity? What, what the heck does that mean to me? Why do I care? Um, you know, because flux is eating the oxidation off of the joint or out of the joint. It's not, uh, allowing it to, um, form in the first place, the higher the activity level you got, the more aggressive it's going to be at removing um, that oxidation or getting rid of it completely. Um, you know, it can attack the base metals of the components and traces. So you have to be really careful with it. And what that means is like, it's almost like acid. You know, if you put it on there and it's really, really high activity, you know, like an, an HL one or something like that, or, or I forgot the designation of Roth off the top of my head, but um, you know, if it's a real high activity, um, it's going to be great. You're going to have a super duper clean solder joint, but you can also make it very acidic by adding the heat in there. So you got to clean it off right away. Um, and that's where, uh, we'll go over what the classifications are and there's like a whole chart on how it works. Um, but in, in, 
in easiest terms, um, usually the higher the activity level, you know, the better the soldering and the, the bigger the process window, meaning um, like you can go from like a kind of a cold joint to a really, really hot joint and it's going to protect it no matter what. Where if you have a smaller process window, it means like you got to get in there, zap it real quick with heat and get right back out and then clean it off. Um, you know, so like I said, the, the drawback to it is that, you know, when you have um, more aggressive or it's more corrosive is that it might not be great for surface mount components or really tiny components because you, you just can't get underneath them to clean them off. Uh, ball grid arrays are a good example. So an FPGA or a microcontroller. Um, and we don't have to go into all that. Mike could probably uh, put us all to sleep with that stuff. <laughs> so when I go to the store, what flux do I want to buy? Well, um, we'll get into that in here in a little bit. Okay. okay. So, um, <clears throat> so there's a couple other little, you know, um, there's, you know, there's a couple other things you want to know about. Okay. So the, the biggest one is like a lot of guys, uh, I will warn away from is don't ever use plumber's flux, right? Plumber's flux is, is super duper acidic. Never, ever use it. Don't, you know, like you can get it at home Depot. It's in that light white jar. Um, and it's like that tacky stuff, you know, I'm guilty. I've used it before, but don't ever use it for your electronics. This is really, really bad stuff. Um, so just, just stay away from anything that says acid flux core, um, like solders, solder, like wires, um, any, any of those fluxes that, you know, say acid flux, um, sounds great. Cause it sounds like it'll clean everything off, but it'll also wipe everything else off your board. Just don't do it. <laughs> Um, a lot of times that's for like brazing or, or doing different kinds of actual welding, not soldering. And the, the two processes are, are slightly different from one another. Um, so the next thing that we got is we're talking about low or high solids. And remember what I said earlier was it basically just means how much gunk do you have in it already? Um, you know, the, the, it's just the stuff that's in the flux, such as three, tree stat, rather, sorry, tree sap you know, pine tar, um, that's where flux originated from was they actually, uh, would use it for brazing, um, whenever they were, um, you know, doing any kind of blacksmithing, um, they'd use different soaps and things like that because they figured out that it helps with the metal grains, you know, um, with forming metals to where they would form better bonds. And, um, one of the things that they experimented with was apparently was tree sap and it actually worked pretty good, um, you know, for, for different reasons. Um, so like I said, the, the lower the solids that you're going to get, you know, usually the easier it's going to be to clean off, but you don't want to leave it on your solder joint. You want to clean that off right away. Um, but you also, this is where you kind of have to go back to the manufacturer and you have to see what they say about it. And that that's where, the little guy is going to get really going to have a really tough time discerning between like that question. What's what flux should I use? And, and hopefully I can answer a little bit better of that by the time we get to the end of this. Um, and I do have an answer to it, but um, just getting through some of this stuff. So we get all the, the formalities out of the way. Um, so normally the solids that we're talking about, those are usually discussed as percentages of solder or of, of uh, you know, what's in the flux. You know, it's kind of self-explanatory. Um, not super important to go over again, but um, so like, for instance, you have um, the, the rosin and resin 
you know, and like I said, those are, um, that's, that's one type of flux that you can use. It's in, it's ambiguous. You can use either one of those terms and they're pretty much going to be the same. Um, getting into the, you know, Webster's dictionary version of it. Just if you see rosin or resin, it'll be R E or R O. They're basically mean the same thing. Um, then you have this, the second property, which is going to be the solvent. So these are all the things that are in the flux itself. So solvents are, you know, like it, it exposes unoxidized stuff in the joint, um, you know, it easily wettable metals, you know, through exchange reactions um, with the base metals. So we don't really have to go into what all that means. Um, but the next thing would be like your chemical activator. So it's just chemicals added to the flux to help with removing oxides. Um, and then you have organic acids. You know, um, I know we said acids are like a really, really bad term, but um, sometimes they add, manufacturers will add that in to help with stabilizing it while it's in process. It's kind of like a, um, an oil additive for, you know, your car. And then the last thing is, is it's more of like a property of it. And that's the, like a, a thixotrope, um, if it's, whether it's thixotropic. Um, so it's like gels that thin out with heat and stress. So like a, a tacky flux is like thixotropic. It will um, be in gel form when it's at room temperature, you hit it with heat, it will liquid liquefy and it'll kind of go throughout the joint. And then as soon as you pull the iron away, it'll kind of gel back up again. Um, and what that does is it allows that um, it allows the heat to go in there and do the work and it's covering your material. And then as soon as you take the iron away, it covers it all back up again so that the oxygen can't get to your joint and it ruins it. So, um, and that's, that's all kind of like super duper, like super duper deep down the rabbit hole. Um, you know, we could talk about that more if you wanted to, but it's basically just liquid versus tacky flux. So bottom line up front, like what, what you were asking, what do I recommend? So there's something called um, SMD291. Um, you can buy it on Amazon. You can buy it on DigiKey. Costs about 15, 16 bucks for like a 10 or 15 cc syringe. That's what I usually use. And um, it's a, it, like I said, it's in a little syringe and you can take it and you can use different tips for the syringe. Um, I think it comes with like two or three of them, but you can use that to apply as much or as little flux as you want. And then you can use like a toothpick or something to spread it around if you, if you wanted to move it to other areas. So when I take this, okay, again, let's go back to a connector. Yep. I'm going to put this on the connector. Am I going to put this on the wire? Do I put it on both? I mean, how am I using this to get my connectors connected? So, uh, I mean, you know, flux is really you apply it to anything that you plan on sticking together, you know, like with mm -hmm. soldering process. It basically, it goes on, uh, let's put it this way, it goes on before the heat goes on. Okay. And then after the heat comes off, the flux comes off. Okay, so <laughs> but, how do you clean the flux? All right, so uh, really good question. Okay, so uh, a lot of people will just use like alcohol, you know, like rubbing alcohol, um, the higher the alcohol percentage, the better, like 99%, 100% if you can get a hold of it. I don't really recommend using 70%, which is rubbing alcohol that you get at, you know, Walmart. Um, a lot of times they'll sell 91% would be the minimum. 
Um, and the only reason why I don't like the idea of using the lower percentage is the rest of it is water. Um, right. And now the water, the, the alcohol is going to evaporate all of that water, but that's introducing the chance of, um, you know, oxidation to be able to stick to your components or onto your electronics or onto your wires. Um, and then depending on what flux you have in there, you know, it, it can just make a real big mess out of everything. So the, the higher the alcohol you have, the better. Um, I would personally recommend that you go get an actual flux remover. Um, my, my personal one that I use is Chemtronics uh, 4130, I want to say. And the advantage over that over alcohol is just it does a better job. So what? Well, the, it's a, it's actually a mix. It's kind of like a tri mix of stuff. So mm-hmm. it's it's got alcohol in it, and then it's got um, I think it's got methanol in there, and then it's got something else, and I don't remember what it was off the the top of my head. But the reason why I like the forty one forty is it's plastic safe. Um, that's a, a kind of a big deal. But if you just take alcohol and you dump it onto certain plastics, um, I'm not sure which ones they are. You could scream at me if I'm wrong, but like PLA or something like that. You put it mm-hmm. on there, it'll discolor. You know, mm-hmm. any 3D printer guys probably know about that stuff. Um, another example would be like acrylics. Acrylics will crack and craze and all that if you put alcohol on there. Um, so the 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 stuff that they put in there, it's really meant to be like the alcohol will evaporate and take all the stuff away, but the other one has different properties to it that will help with that cleaning process, you know? So instead of it all just being one concentration of a type of chemical, it's like three different chemicals in there at once. So it's safe for all of your plastics and probably a lot of your glass, you know, any, any kind of plastic screens and all that. Um, so if you get overspray and your radio is sitting right there, that might be a good idea to use something like that as opposed to alcohol. Um, and and it's really not that expensive. I think the can's like eighteen bucks, and it's a fourteen or fifteen ounce can. And um, I mean, it, it as long as you're not just sitting there spray painting your walls with it. I mean, it should last you <laughs> for, for forever. I mean, it, even me in an industrial setting, it'll take me months, two, three months to go through a can of the stuff, and I'm spraying off whole boards with it. You know, so. Like I said, that's MG Chemicals. I think it's 4140-400G is the exact part number. Um, is that something you can get on Amazon? Yeah, you can. Yeah, I think you can find it on Amazon. You can also find it on DigiKey. Um, oh, DigiKey, just because that's normally where I go through anyways. They're pretty fast mm-hmm. shipping and all that, and they, yeah. they're not too bad on shipping costs. Um, but you can also get, like, the – you can buy a liter size of the stuff, and it's like 4140A or something like that. And it's in, I want to say it's in like liter or something like that. Um, I have I have both. <laughs> but you you basically put it into one of those little acid bottles. So you push the top, you know, and you get like a little acid brush, push the top mm-hmm. of it, and you just, you know, wax on, wax off with that guy. Um, that works really well. Using this, this is something where I've got to put it on and scrub it off with a towel or something or how how does it work yeah so um i I just mentioned uh, an acid brush so you can get the acid Mm -hmm. brushes at harbor freight you know you go Mm -hmm. into i don't know what section it is but you go in there and you can find acid brushes you get like a hundred of them for five bucks or something they're little silver cheap stamped you know hog brush um uh brushes 
And then what I usually guys do call them is, resin brushes and stuff too. Yeah, 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 exactly. Resin brushes. You can use them for all kinds of stuff. They're pretty handy. Mm-hmm. But what I typically do is I'll actually, um, you know, they're the, the brush itself is about an inch long. And what I usually do is I'll just cut it off at like a 45 degree angle. Um, hmm. you know, so it shortens the brush, but that'll make them nice and stiff. And when you're brushing, you never want to stab with the brush. You want to actually like brush it, you know, but you can go in circles that that'll work too. small circles, you know, and, and really grind it in there. But you, you're the, the key is you don't want to like smash the brush into it. Cause that just makes the bristles get all jacked up and then it, you got to throw that away and go get another one. But that, that's a good way to do it. Uh, in my opinion, um, it, it works a lot better than just straight up alcohol, but alcohol will work in a pinch. You know, if you just have the stuff sitting around, um, you know, you can use, uh, like nail polish remover. Um, you know, that's usually like an acetone or just straight up acetone will work. Uh, mm-hmm. but a lot of times acetone is not really great for plastics. Um, so you might need to be careful. It might work great for, you know, wires and stuff, but maybe on your model, you don't really want to do a lot yeah, of that. Won't it attack coverings and stuff that they put on cir- on circuit boards? Um, oh, you're talking about the masking, like the green? Or blue? Yeah, the spray-on stuff that they put on. Yeah, that's that's circuit mask. Or solder mask is what they're A couple different ways they call it. But, yeah, so like I said, acetone or methanol does work. Um, but, you know, like I said, a lot of times it's like super duper strong smelling and, you know, mm-hmm. where, I mean, even, even the, the stuff I recommended that MG chemical stuff, it's, you know, it's, it's got a little bit of a, of a smell to it. So you don't want to be sitting there breathing that stuff. You know, you want to spray it in an open area, but the good thing with that 4140 stuff is you can actually just take it and you put the little red, the little red tube on there and you can just spray the living crap out of it and it'll i mean it'll get up underneath the stuff and it'll really clean things out um so you have you can do a little bit less scrubbing you know i just recommend you spray it on there let it sit for a couple seconds scrub like crazy and then you can wipe it off with like a towel or a chem wipe um they also have like chem wipes you can get them on mm-hmm. um you know amazon for i don't know it's like 3 to 5 bucks a box there's like 200 of them in there they'll last you for forever um, but they're really low linting. You know, it's they're called technical wipers mm-hmm. or tech wipes. Um, those are great to have around, better than a t- paper towel. Because paper towels, um, especially if you're working with those rosin, resin type of uh, fluxes, they're super sticky. It's almost like sugar, you know, like when you're, when you're done with it, it. It just gets everywhere, and it's a real pain in the neck. Um, but this stuff, this stuff that I recommended, I mean, I've used it on all kinds of different solders, all kinds of different um, residues and burnt on gunked up stuff and it it just seems to do the best job all around job um i've tried the heavy duty kind they actually have mg chemicals has another one where it's hd Uh, i I feel like this one worked better um and then i've also used like flux off flux off is another brand um i don't remember who the manufacturer is for that but um they're that i've used that stuff too they're they're both really good this is just for whatever reason, the NG chem stuff is, is what seems to work the best for me. And I just kind of keep going back to it. So we're talking about flux. I mean, what about is resin core solder? Is that flux? Yes. Yeah. When they're, okay. when they're talking about um, core there, if you, if you actually look under a little microscope, it actually looks like, um, 
almost looks like fiber optic cable. <laughs> right. You have, your, you have your actual lead and tin mixture on the outside and the very center, you know, the very middle of it or the, the focal point in the middle, that's actually the flux. And, right. um, it, you know, they usually call it by a percentage. You know, it's like mm-hmm. zero, zero to three percent or three point three percent, I think, is the highest I've ever seen. Mm-hmm. Um, I recommend using a flux cord flux or a flux cord solder wire if you can get it. So you recommend using a flux cord solder and flux? Correct. It, it sounds sounds crazy like you got too much, but it, it no. It that's works. what I'm, that's why I'm asking because mm-hmm. I mean I I frequently just use flux core wire and don't use flux. But yeah. You're saying to use both. Yep. Um, and and that's how I would typically clean the the leftover from when I do my soldering with it, you know, with the mm-hmm. resin core solder or rosin core solder. Yeah. Um, I would either use acetone or alcohol to clean it off. Yeah. Um, so I with, don't leave it on. Yeah. With, uh, with, with flux core. Um, so, um, and, and that whole thing about rosin resin. Okay. So if you actually using a rosin or a resin, um, type of mixture, uh, and it's a natural uh, type of a flux, you actually don't have to remove it. Most of the time, it's completely electrically inert. And even mm-hmm. though it looks ugly and it looks really, really bad, you don't actually have to take that stuff off. Yeah, it's almost like a shellac. It's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. it's really it, hard. It's more like the synthetic, the alcohol-based stuff. Anything that's got alcohol-based on it if, it, if it says it's got alcohol in there, don't ever, ever leave that stuff on ever okay. water soluble don't ever 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 leave that out. that's the worst of them all um <laughs> great thing is it's super duper easy to clean i mean literally you pour water on it and just watch it bubble it's great this stuff's awesome mm. but god forbid you forget to clean that stuff off <laughs> you're gonna come back and your your entire joint's gonna be gone <laughs> I don't know. maybe not not that dramatic but you know like I, i've definitely seen it do some pretty hairy stuff <laughs> right right but that's the recommendation is you know like the Rosins, resins, you can, they're, they're typically inert and they're fine. And the more, the more synthetic, we'll call it, uh, going towards the no clean and, uh, or the, uh, sorry, the water soluble or the alcohol based. Um, first off, they vaporize as soon as you touch it with heat anyways. Um, and those are usually the more liquid style. Um, mm-hmm. but those disappear as soon as you touch it They're they're super duper active. So they're great because they do clean the joint, but they're gone really, really fast. So if you sit there and have a really, really long dwell time, you're basically on a dry joint. It's gone. Um, and, and, and back to that flux core thing. So if you have a flux core wire and you're soldering with it, and let's say you've got like 1.2% or all the way, let's say you've even got 3.3% and you're soldering with it, but you're not using an external flux on top of that, the amount of flux that's in the middle of that wire is going to get burnt off so quick that there's really nothing left to protect your joint. It does help and it does delay a little bit of that oxidation, but even with 3.3% in there, you're still going to burn it off really fast and your, your process window is going to be, it's going to close up on you really quick. And that's why I recommend you do the, you do the solder or the uh, flux core with external flux on top of that. And sounds like it's overkill, but, I mean, no, I haven't been doing that. That's so that's so that's good. I mean, I've been using the the. So, I mean, I know when I do that backfill technique that we were talking about earlier, yep. I'll actually get a puddle of the resin on top of the solder. Yeah, I mean, a, a puddle of it. It sits there and boils. Yep. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. 
and and that's what's nice about that resin stuff i mean it's great yeah it's it's fantastic to solder with you know um it, uh, so let's let's think of it like in nitro terms because a lot of guys kind of get that resins and resins are kind of like um you know castor oil in your nitro and the alcohol based and the water based is kind of like having full synthetic um mm. you know so if your brain gravitates toward that idea behind you know your chemistries that's really the difference between the two you know and and same kind of properties that you would think of your nitro engine like yeah you know what i i can run my engine boogery blobbery <laughs> just crap flying everywhere because i got caster that thing is never ever going to die but god what a mess this thing is going to be to clean up you know mm -hmm. where if i'm running you know some you know some of that newer stuff that's all synthetic um you know yeah it, i I spray it with something and it all wipes off really, really fast. But the minute you run that sucker lean, whoop, there goes your engine, <laughs> you know? So that's a, just a, a good way to think of it is flux is a lot like your nitro, you know, oil content. Um, that's awesome. Thanks for that. I mean, that that's something that I, you know, I've thought about Yeah. whether I really needed to be using both when I'm using a resin core solder. So, yeah. Yeah. And, and uh, that, that kind of also, um, since, since we were talking about solder, that actually is kind of a good segue into a lot of guys don't know what solder to pick. How do, how do I know which one I need to use? Um, and a lot of guys get wrapped around the idea of the quote word, quote unquote, what's the best that I can get? The best brand, what best mix should I use? I, I would just say, get rid of that. That's kind of another one of those cringy terms there. There's no such thing as a best. Um, what would be a great idea would be anything that's 60-40 or, um, you know, the 67-37 or 63-37. If you get one of those two mixes or something very, very close to that where, um, you know, a lot of it is tin and then a little bit of it is lead, you know, you're, you're going to be great. You, you should be in, in really, really good shape. Um if you start getting more towards the, the lead free stuff, it's not that lead free is so much wildly different to solder with. Um, I, I just wouldn't really recommend using uh, lead free um, for, for our RC helicopters because it can, it can get brittle and it can cause wire problems and things like that. Um, but you're talking about wires and things, you know, just 60, 40 or 67, 37, I think is what the mix is. Sorry if I keep switching the numbers back and around, <laughs> but one yeah. of those two and you should be good to go. And, and I would recommend get a good brand, get like Kester. Um, you know, Kester's are a really big name. Indium is another name. We use a lot of Indium. Um, there's uh, a couple other different kinds, but I wouldn't necessarily go to Amazon and get whatever the, you know, whatever the AUA stuff is eh, i'd stay away from that because you just can't trust what the mix is and it's really not that much more expensive to go and buy tester or another name brand um i think even loctite even has some uh solder that we've used and it works great it's fantastic mm. um so if you if you stick with a more name brand spend a couple of bucks more i would recommend doing that if you use the cheap stuff i'm not saying it won't work but then you're you're again you're back to guesswork and the more guessing that you do, the higher the chances that you're not going to have a very successful night out of, you know, your work. <laughs> oh.
<laughs> yeah, just trying, just trying to help a brother out. That's all. <laughs> you know. So, and then uh, you know, and and like I said, it, it's it's not really that I want to say buyer beware, stay the hell off of Amazon, eBay. Um, you know, uh, probably stay off of Alibaba. But like a, a good example is <laughs> like SRA or Canfield are are two names that uh, that come up a lot. Um, you know, whenever you do an internet search, they're they're gonna give you you know, whatever, whatever advertiser is paying to push that into your face the most, you know, and unfortunately those guys are based on volume. They're not based on quality. And a lot of times when somebody's just first looking, they're not really looking for quality. They just want to get the job done. You know, like, Hey, I'm just sticking two pieces of metal together. This will work good enough. Okay. That says the same exact thing that that guy says. It says flux, flux. Good. All right. I'll go with that one. (laughs) You know, um, so sometimes it does pay to, to get a little bit better of a brand and it, sometimes you really got to work at the research part, but you know, like I said, Pester, Indium, MG chemicals, they all make really good stuff. Not that expensive or not much more expensive. Um, I think the last thing here is, uh, uh, dealing with fumes and whatnot in your workspace. Yeah. So, um, and, and this one doesn't really need to be a really big one. Um, it, it probably goes without saying, but you don't want to solder in an enclosed space. Like if you have a camper or if you have a, you know, like a little tiny shed or something like that, I'm not saying that you can't solder in there, you know, it just, it, just be conscious of what you're breathing in. This stuff really will jack you up after a while. Um, get one of those little portable fans, like a little, little battery powered fan. Um, you know, like I got a DeWalt fan that I take everywhere with me. Um, or you can get just one of those little clip on, they're like 12 bucks, you know, get an Amazon fan. And I'm not saying, um, blow the thing towards your face, but, you know, have it sitting 45 degrees off of your right or your left shoulder where it's just blowing those fumes away from you. You know, if you can get a professional evac system, okay, great. You know, they're pretty expensive. They're upwards of a thousand dollars or more for, you know, a fume evaction or evacuator, but, um, you know, you, you just want, you just want to get that stuff going away from your body and don't just sit there in the fumes and think you're okay. I really, really like want to stress, dude, just a really cheap fan just to get that crap out of your face. Even if you don't breathe it, you know, for very long, it's just a bad idea, man. And, and I would really hate to hear of somebody, you know, having latent lung cancer because they sat there and soldered, you know, in their shed for their entire RC career. And, <laughs> you know, it's kind of like sunblock, you know, like eh, everybody knows you should be wearing sunblock, but they just put it on, just wear it, get a little fan, just have it running while you're doing your soldering and, and just try not to have it blowing onto your stuff while you're working because that'll cool your joint. Cool. Yeah. I was going to comment on that. Cause I do that. And if you get a fan blown on your work, Yep. It's like acts like a heat sink kind of thing, yeah. right? It cools it off. Yep. And you really just want the flow about an inch or two above whatever you're doing, or maybe a couple inches above that. But like I said, it's more about getting those fumes the heck out of the way than it is about um, you know, anything else. That's that's the overall Yeah, I'm disappointed. I really like the smell of solder fumes. <laughs> it's bad, man. It's like smelling gasoline, dude. <laughs> I like the smell of gas too and magic markers. I'll cry now or later. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, it's all good, man. That's good info. Yeah. 
you know, and, and, um, and, and just like anything else, you know, like there's, there's still a whole lot of other things that we could go into and, you know, I don't want to go on with this for, you know, five hours, um, which it could be. Um, but then, then you're, you're, you're also, we're also kind of leaving out the, the topic about hand tools, things that you, you could have sitting around your shop or in your little kit, you know, your to go soldering kit, um, you know, and, if people need help with that, you know, I'm, I'm an available resource, you know, like I can be one-on-one with somebody or they can give me a call or they can private message me or something like that. And I can help walk them through a little bit more. I know uh, I talked to Jamie Burkholder at one of the events and he gave me a call back a little while later. He's like, Oh man, I, I used all the little tips that you gave me, you know, dude, now I'll work great, dude. I'm, I'm soldering so much better already. I'm like, all right, cool. You know, <laughs> it was really good to me to be able to do that you know and i sat down with shaggy that one time and was going through how to how to solder with him and and uh yes the the, the counting technique has definitely helped yeah yeah see and there, there you go and like i said I, i'm not i'm not trying to claim any glory for that man i learned that from my ipc class so if that's one big thing i got from that class dude dude it's great <laughs> I'm glad well, what are a couple of your favorite to- hand tools? I mean, uh, we've talked about your brushes and stuff, or, you know, the acid brushes yeah. and stuff, but um, what are- uh, well, uh, like I, w- I would say, um, as far as hand tools, uh, a good set of tweezers, they don't have to be super expensive. Tweezers are probably my, one of my number one tools that I use. Um, a set of good, sharp diagonal cutters, uh, you know, like those, those precision cutters. Obviously, an exacto knife. Everybody should have one of those. If they don't, you know, you don't have to get an expensive one. But you know, um, the 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 more you spend on it, obviously, usually the better you're going to get, like an Exolite or something like that. But you know, the ninety nine cent ones at at the hobby shop are great. Um, oh, what's another one? Wire strippers, good wire strippers. I'm not talking about you know like those ones where you it all it does it all in one motion. You clamp on the wire and all that uh, <laughs> i'd argue yeah. a really really terrible way to strip your wires but if that's the best way you got it and it does better than you mangling it with a uh, razor blade cool go for it <laughs> yeah, if you can if you look at the wire afterwards and the surface of the wire is scratched off yeah you yeah, might want a different tool that's super duper bad yeah and there, yeah. and there's there's a whole technique to actually doing the wire stripping and all mm-hmm. that and like i said didn't want to didn't want to go overboard with it because we got a million other things to go overboard with. But, um, yeah. you know, that that's those are if you can get good ones, you know, get good ones. Um, what else did I have? You know, like everybody knows about helping hands, dude, helping hands are really, truly one of your best friends. Um, if you don't have like this big, huge super system, uh, there's a little tool that I use. It's called uh, a stick vice. Um S-T-I-C-V-I-S-E, I think, is how you spell it. Um, you can get that on Amazon. They're like 35 bucks. That's more for circuit boards. But, man, you can use that for just about anything. And it's a great little flat vice. It sits flat on the on the bench. It's not really tall. To, it doesn't take up a lot of room. Really easy to use. Takes a little bit of getting used to. But once you've got it, man, it, it's really, really versatile. And I love it. Um but that's one of the biggest ones that I use. They're they're really really good. Oh, another tool that I recommend everybody have: get rid of your damn lighters and get a heat gun. <laughs> yeah, stop melting your 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 heat shrink with lighter. 
I'm or a blowtorch. I'm guilty, <sighs> dude. Uh, don't get me wrong. I do I'm it not, too. Not, I've done it. I'm not talking bad about anybody, but stop it. <laughs> no, <laughs> grow up. Spend twelve, twenty-eight bucks or something like that. We got one that's like seek one amazon special we've got them in every lab in every station in our lab at work and we're working on like the super duper high-end stuff dude you're just you're just shrinking stuff dude who cares where the heat source is coming from but uh, even a cheap harbor freight heat gun yeah they take up room and they're kind of a pain in the neck but dude just get one man they they, they will make life so much nicer it's it's a really really good one um mm-hmm. you know and uh i don't really know much uh, a whole lot beyond that and it's those are those are like the big ones that a lot i see a lot of people don't have like i said the the tech wipes would be great you know um oh technovice that's the other one technovice makes like a little miniature vice um you know it's it's bigger than helping hands but a little mini vice and you can use it for all kinds of other stuff too but those are pretty nice you can get one they're like 50 60 bucks you know uh maybe maybe a little more maybe a little less i don't know Mm-hmm. Um, I know one of them I have that I have, I find really helpful is one with little alligator clips. They're just a couple of yeah. them on a little arm. Yep. But I do cover those alligator clips in uh, rubber fuel tubing. Yeah, fuel to tubing. To not or, absorb the heat. Heat shrink works really, really good. Yeah, too. heat shrink works good, too. It just uh, doesn't last as long as the fuel tubing. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yep. Seen guys use electrical tape, too, but I, mm-hmm. I think you have to wrap it around there. Just put heat shrink on it. and repl- I mean, you can you get 500 yards of, of heat shrink for like five cents. Dollar ninety nine, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but we'll just go for it that way. Um, and then, and then, uh, the the other one for for me personally, and and this can kind of um, go back to like the visual enhancers or you know like a microscope. Um, I know maybe not everybody's got a microscope in their budget. Um, but they do make some pretty inexpensive ones. I know Mike has like the Ekins one um, where it's got like autofocus built into it. And it was a couple hundred bucks for that whole setup. But man, if you could get like a, a single arm boom stand or just a regular, um, you know, just single stand with binoculars on them. Holy crap. That, that opens up a huge world of capability, not only just in, in your ability to, to see what's going on with the solder, but then how small of stuff you can learn how to solder. Like, you know, like uh, back in the day, guys used to have those little micro CPs, you know, the, mm-hmm. what do they call those little guys? The MCPX, you know, like mm-hmm. I remember them talking about, oh, you can replace the transistor on it and, oh, you can replace the cap and you can do this. Man, I remember looking at those and I destroyed so many of those boards trying to pull that stuff off of there. <laughs> and, it, and, and I had all the super duper top end soldering equipment. I worked for like a really, really big company and all that. And, and the big difference was I couldn't see what I was working on. The stuff was so small, you know, that no matter how much I, no matter how good of equipment I had, I just couldn't see what was going on. And having a soldering microscope is, is really, really big deal. You just get binoculars, dude. And they're not that expensive. It's actually really really cheap you know like amscope or you know vision scientific or something like that you know they're they're not too bad but um you know like i said if somebody needs help with that i, I can be a resource for it i've been through all the buying and the researching and I, it's a dude it's a nightmare man that's not something <laughs> that regular dude is ever going to figure out i barely figured it out and i had to set up a whole lab with this stuff it was a nightmare <laughs> mm-hmm. 
but it's it's all good stuff, man. I, I, one of these days, hopefully, you guys might see me doing it uh, in the near future where I can buy a microscope and I can take it out to fun flies and I can show people this stuff in person. Maybe start oh, like, cool. kind of like school or something like that just for helping people out, you know, because I, I feel called to do it. You know, this is something that you're not going to figure out very quickly. And it, at least if I can get rid of some of the frustration, that's really what I'm going for. Is, you know, like, hey, man, how do you go from zero to OK, you know, pretty quick? And then you can be able to just do connectors and stuff like that. Hey, I do have one more question and it shouldn't take too much. Yeah, yeah. Um, if you're soldering two wires together, and let's say mm. heavy gauge wire, I say mm. heavy gauge. Let's just stick with eight gauge Ooh, like wire. Battery, battery connect, like, like battery connect? Exactly. Yeah. There, there's two ways I've seen it done. One is solder the two wires side by side, mm-hmm. or twist the wire. Before there's any, any solder or you've done anything with them, you just take the two wires and push them together and intertangle. Yep. Man, it's harder to describe than it is to actually see it. But yeah. if you took the two ends of the wire and just started pushing them together and wiggle them, yep. the wires will spread out and they'll intertangle with each other yeah. and then solder them. Yeah. And then, of course, cover them with heat shrink. Yep. Um, my personal favorite is just to crimp them with a crimper. But mm-hmm. wh- which way would you say? I, I know which way is easier, which is the intertangling way. Yeah. Um, but what do you think is the best way to do that? So the, the intertangling is technically called splicing. Mm-hmm. Um, so think about splicing a rope. Yep. Um, you can't splice it like you do a rope because you're not actually braiding the two leads together. Right. But I know what you mean where you kind of just mash them together. Yeah, um, you just keep wiggling them and they'll work themselves together. Yeah. Um, due to the fact that you can't get a uniform splice doing it that way or, you know, like if you have really, really thick uh, strands in there, you might mm-hmm. be able to get them to lay in there in a certain pattern, but because you can't guarantee that those guys are actually going to go together very well, I don't recommend going that way. That's that's okay. usually going to just lead to more disaster than it's worth. Um, the 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 better way to would be to actually put them side by side, but technically the best way to be would be to do two J hooks together. Two J hooks. Um, yeah, so so what you do is you you strip and tin um, a certain length of the wire, um, and I, I know that they've got specifications for it. And and again, I don't want to like overcomplicate the idea, but a J hook is exactly what it sounds like. You basically you have a, a stripped and tinned length of wire uh, sticking out of your insulation, right? And then you grab a pair of pliers, preferably one that don't have jaws, and they're not going to like mangle your wire. And you basically just bend it 180 degrees around to make it look like a candy cane. And then you take the two candy canes and you hook them together and you put a little bit of tension on there. And then you uh, solder, you know, you throw some solder in the joint between the two until you have a good smooth uh, solder joint or uh, bead between the two joints or between two wires. And then you throw your heat shrink over the outside. The downside to that is it's going to take up a lot more room than just sticking two side by side with each other. Right. The good thing is that number one, you're getting a good mechanical bond. Um, You know, the mechanical bond is really a, really a big part of that. But then also, um, you know, it's just more surface area where they're, they're kind of like touching together um, for the most part. And uh, the, 
the little electrons aren't having to take like this big massive detour to get from one conductor to the next. You know, they're they're going to find the shortest way to the other side, so to speak. Um, and if you have like a really really hard point where those two are just really hooked onto each other really good, and then you have some solder going over the top of it, that there's a very little deviation in where those electrons are flowing. You'll get less heating in your joint, and it'll just go through faster, or it'll go through better, I should say, not faster. Um, but the the side by side thing, it is a joint that you can do. Um, I would almost recommend like wrapping one little wire around the outside of that to you know just to add more mechanical to it. But mm-hmm. you know the two side by side with each other, I just wouldn't put a lot of current through those two because, like I said, you're even though you have a lot of surface area touching each other. Um, there's no, almost no mechanical uh, securing going on there, and it's 100% relying on the solder joint itself to hold itself together, and I'm, that might not be something you want to trust a lot of current running through. Right, and it's not making the surface contact either, is it? So you got less it, surface. It, it, it technically is, um, and that's why I said is that you, you are making a lot of surface contact because you think about, um, you know, the the... the whatever, the outer diameters touching each other along the mm-hmm. length of that, and then you have the web or the uh, the solder joint going between the two of them. So technically, you would have a lot of surface area, and I'm not saying that it, it can't be or wouldn't be a good joint. Um, I would just prefer me. I would rather have a little bit more mechanical joint in there before you're relying on the solder to do the holding because if you don't want the solder to do the majority of your holding, it's solder is not good for that. It's lead. Lead is very, very soft. It's not that it's brittle, but um, the tin is very brittle or can be. And, and you really want more of a mechanical securing first, and then the solder will just shore that up. But if you just have solder together, that's not, um, that's not a good way to do your your joint. It's just not a proper way to do it. I gotcha. And then, like I said, you start getting into joint heating. And a lot of people don't think about a lot of that. That's why you have two different ratings. You have chassis wiring rating, and then you have power uh, power transfer ratings. Um, and the, the reason why you have those two ratings is one describes it in open air, not in a bundle of wires. And power transfer means it's like buried in a big old cable with hundreds of other wires around it where it has no way to dissipate the heat from it. Um, it has to dissipate the heat within itself. So it's acting as its own heat sink, and that's why you're derated so much. Like 10-gauge wire can only carry like, I don't know, like 13 amps or something like that. Um, I, I mean, I, again, I could be completely wrong on the number, but you look at chassis wiring, and I think it's like 55 amps. But if you look at power transfer, it's like really, really low, you know, by comparison. Mm. You sit there like, you know, big confusion question mark over your head like what why what does that mean you know so that's that's kind of the same thing where it's it depends on the application where you're putting it um so yeah sorry long long story for that simple answer (laughs) i said it was going to be a short topic you know yeah yeah. (laughs) (laughs) not good at making a short uh topic out of a, a long question right yeah lately i've gone to just doing using bullets to extend wire and uh yeah, so they they have you know you can do butt splices. Uh, butt splices work pretty good. 
So this is another thing that um, probably would be helpful for a lot of people. And um, some people may agree or disagree with me on this as fine. Um, anytime you have a crimped connection, you don't want to solder, put solder in that crimped connection. Right. Crimping is technically superior to soldering. And that, again, may be controversial. But there's a reason why NASA crimps their stuff and they don't solder their stuff. Same um, thing in airplanes. Yeah, exactly. Um, soldering is really a less uh, optimal way of connecting, you know, uh, an electrical joint. Um, and what you're doing when you are when you when you add solder to a crimped joint, you're you're actually destroying the joint or you're derating the joint. Um, you're you're making it more brittle or you're, you're doing something to it that's bad. You do you just don't want to do it. Um, you're disturbing the joint. And with a crimp joint, you can't disturb it. it once it's crimped, it's, it's done. You either chop that sucker off and you start all over again or replace the entire wire, or you just live with, <laughs> we'll live with however bad you <laughs> crimped it, and that's that's done deal. <laughs> so, oh, don't let the Paula hear you say that. Uh, yeah, and that's why I said it. Hey, man, you could you could disagree with me professionally or not um, from everything. <laughs> no, I was that talking I'm, about letting a bad crimp stand. Oh, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> <laughs> then I agree with him. I do a lot of Molex connectors and those little suckers. I mean, they're about as idiot proof as you can get. I wish to God we had Molex connectors for our RC servo connectors instead, but uh, I think a lot of people would freak out if they had to pay $350 for a crimper. <laughs> yeah. Might bring the price down. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah not just know. the helicopter guys. Yeah, yeah, exactly. But, yep. Yeah, so I think that that I mean, hopefully that pretty much covers everything that you could probably, you know, think of with the soldering stuff. You guys, let me know. I don't, I don't mean to let the topic go on, but I remember in the past a lot of people recommended using an open torch to heat up bullets. I don't yeah. see that anymore. Yeah, um, honestly, that that's that's technically not a bad way to do it, um, and and this is the reason why. Um, on large, large, large connectors, like you're talking about power transfer, um, you know, like power line cables and all that, that's the only way that you're going to be able to solder those things. You can't get enough electrical power out there, you know, minus like a, a generator welding system that's made to do it. Um, an open torch is actually really good. The, the only reason why an open torch isn't a great idea is you get a lot of soot um, or you can get a lot of soot from it. Um, like if you're using uh, map gas or something like that, um, it burns a little bit hotter and a little cleaner. That that'd probably work great. Um, people just don't know how to use the equipment. So you catch shit on fire, you, you know, <laughs> you're lighting the truck on fire and all that is a bad idea. Don't encourage open flames. <laughs> <laughs> I'll tell you, I use a micro torch to unsolder my connectors. What's so that? to get the bullets, I use a micro torch to get the bullets off a wire. Yeah, it's the absolutely. fastest way to do it. Yeah, I just and, heat them up really quick, put a pair of pliers on, and slide them off, or yeah. they fall off themselves. Yeah, and 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 remember earlier, that's what I was saying about when you're when you're taking something off. Um, mm -hmm. uh, depending on how the proximity of that open flame or that really really high temperature item is to your sensitive electronics. We'll go back to the ESC as a great example. Right. Um, your bullets are so far away from your MOSFETs inside of the board 
Um, and that board is so good at getting rid of heat because it has to. Um, you're running a couple hundred amps through it. More than likely, that that damage is not or that heat isn't going to go up there and damage anything in the ESC. Oh, it's and so it's, fast. It's, the wire doesn't even get that hot very far. It, out. Exactly. Now you're that's where you're talking about the the um, amount of saturation or the heat saturation you've got in your joint. And earlier, what I was trying to focus on for newer guys is the amount of saturation you get in your joint or in the in whatever you're doing. A lot of times, guys undersaturate because they're trying to get in and out really, really fast because their iron is so hot, it's burning their hands. Where if you turned it down a little bit, it won't burn your hands and you're not going to be as encouraged to to just try to rush through everything. Um, and And again... This uh, agreeing with the open torch idea might sound counterintuitive to what I said earlier, and that's why I didn't really want to encourage it when we're describing that earlier. But the reason why I'm saying when you're taking it apart is you're literally flash boiling it off of there really fast, and you're not dwelling on it, and that heat isn't going to transfer in a dangerous level off to something else. Now, if you're doing a servo connector and it's right on the board or, you know, like a servo wire right on the board, right next to a capacitor or right next to an active component, like a, you know, a transistor or something like that, one of the little black bugs on your circuit boards. If you're doing it right there, you might not want to have the open torch for taking that off. <laughs> It'll get it off there right away. <laughs> no, I just do it with the bullets. <laughs> I also use the same technique to get the solder out of the bullet. I heat it up. Yeah. Take yeah. it, tip it upside down. Need a blowtorch with a pair of pliers and right out of there, man. Yeah, and, and and tap it on the tabletop, and out it comes out. Yep, pretty clean. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. And like I said, that that uh, that thing earlier about being able to reuse your connectors. You know, the um, go ahead and reuse a connector. Preferably, you don't get any stuff inside the little birdcage or stuff. Right. Um, but you can reuse the connectors a few times, but it's the friction fit that you're worried about. You know, the amount of cycles you put on there. Right. And the more times you heat it up and solder on that thing, it will wear it out faster than one that's only gotten one cycle on it and 500 mating cycles. Oh, I've heated them up enough before where they lost spring tension. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, exactly. Because by then they, they plastically deform and they're they're done for anyway. So. Oh, wow. We've gone through a lot of great stuff tonight. <laughs> yeah. And, and unfortunately, like I said, it's it, that that is a lot of crap to stuff into a very small crap bag. <laughs> it, it is. is. But it's, 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 it's so I, important. It is important. And it is, I would say, for new guys, uh, uh, being a... F- you know, my father taught me to solder as a kid, and there's things that were lost since I wasn't practicing it for years, but there's even things to pick up. Like tonight, uh, like Shaggy has said, the uh, the whole count it out, give it three seconds. That's a, yeah. an amazing thing for me to start using. Yeah. Um, I, hadn't, uh, I hadn't done that either, or hadn't heard yeah. that. Uh, I think I would try and take a hand at, at using uh, the solder wicking stuff a little more, because I have it here, but it's always frustrated me so much to try and use it to clean anything up. <laughs> yep. But yeah. no, uh, lots of good stuff in here. I'm uh, yep. really looking forward to getting this out. Yeah, yeah. I learned to solder back in the My dad bought, used to, I don't know if you guys have heard of him, but Heath Kit used to be yep. back in the day, and dude, my dad used to buy me Heath Kits and sit there and solder resistors and transistors and all that. I mean, I mean it just... That that's that's that that's a different kind of it's not a different kind of soldering, but it's it's different than trying to put bullets on eight gauge wire. 
Yeah, yeah I, my, my yeah. father's workshop, since he was a, a Motorola a authorized uh, repair shop back in the 80s and early oh, 90s, yeah. everything was a pencil tip, and they were constantly working on PCBs, and they had all the tools out to, to check their stuff afterwards. But right. yeah, that's that's how I learned to solder. It was, it was fun. But yeah, I didn't practice. You know, I got to be a teenager and an adult, and I wasn't doing anything with electronics. So yeah. yeah. It's hard to even get to do anything now. You don't have those kind of kits available. Uh, yeah. I pretty much just bullets on batteries and ESCs now. Yeah, for us. Yeah, and then as 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 Cliff has brought up, he's using, you know, solderless connections, which are making physical connection. But as as I've seen, it's pretty much a set screw down. It's a gigantic set screw down onto uh, onto bare wire. Yeah, That's all it is. Yeah. I see guys recrimping those on the same spot on the wire too. Yeah, probably not a good idea. Yeah, I had to. I had to solder a pretty big lead on a power supply that I had one time, and I my, I mean not my soldering iron that I have now. It's a soldering station. It's not that fantastic, but it's better than that. I just had the little pencil soldering iron, and I took it to my grandfather. He worked on TVs forever and ever and ever. And I'm like, uh-huh. look, man, I need to figure out a way to heat this thing up good enough to make this stick to this. And he took a piece of copper tubing beat the end of it down flat, folded it over a time or two, got his torch out, and just heated that copper tube up and put it down on there, and he's basically just made a big tip for his soldering iron. Yeah. <laughs> yep. Yeah. yeah, like I said, it's 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 the, the caveman version of it is put heat there. That's yeah. it. Lots of heat. <laughs> put heat, make milk, and, and walk away, and it still works when you're done. <laughs> yeah. Oh, okay. Um, well, I guess let's, uh, Tim, let's close up this part. What's a great way for uh, folks to reach out to you if they uh, have questions or comments? or uh, Probably uh, Facebook uh, Messenger is probably the best. You know, just look up Timothy Tideback. Um, not very many Tideback's running around, that's for sure. So <laughs> it should be pretty darn easy to find. Um, I, don't, I don't really have like a uh, email that I normally go through, I guess. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I'd say, uh, like most of us, you're here in Virginia, so if you hit up the show on our email address, we can get it out to Tim. Yeah. Um, it's probably not more than a day. It's probably not more than 24 hours you hear from one of us. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. And and like I said, I mean, I, I'll, I'll answer emails or text or whatever, you know, once I get in contact with somebody, you know, and, and any – any questions that you got? I mean, I'm pretty sure I've been asked a, a million of them, and I'm I'm pretty patient with people. You can ask Shaggy. I kind of sat down with him one afternoon and went from zero to hero type of a thing, and he went from like, you know, he knew how to solder, but he went, oh wow, hey, this really really helps. Thanks, dude. Yeah. yeah, yeah, it was. I mean, like I've never had a cold solder, you know, like I because I, I, I know what to look for, but. There's still so much more that I didn't know, and it's like I didn't know this was this yeah. could be an issue. Yeah. I, I mean, he, he's like, "What? So what's your temperature?" Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. Hot. Yeah. Exactly. And and you know, like uh, looking at looking at that uh, what was it, Mike's Mike's soldering iron? Um, that that uh, that little guy was actually pretty good. It was nice because it had that quick tip change thing um you know if anybody's looking for an iron i'd say look for the quick tip changers um you know hakos are pretty good um i usually use pace or jbc but 
any anything where you don't have to unscrew it like you got to touch some hot thing to get the tip off of there and then screw on another tip man it that makes life so much better when you got to you know you can change the tip out really really fast that's really really nice to have and and even if you think you've got the wrong tip you can switch tips and it's like well that one wasn't working as good as the last one and then pop back over to the other tip i mean you again i i do like super duper professional soldering i have three soldering tips for my two irons like i have three for each one of them and that's it i do everything with those those three tips each you know one soldering iron's a little bigger than the other so you know if i'm doing super fine work this one i got three tips and then if i'm doing bigger work then i've got those three tips it does everything you know yeah i, I could say when i was doing rc cars i really preferred a pencil tip for dean's connectors um whereas the bullets these days it's all about that chisel tip and it's a pretty large yeah. one or the horseshoe compared to the, the pencil yeah the, the the horseshoe or the hoof tip ones that that'll make it even better like those those chisel chisel tips man uh, the, that'll open up your world really, really quick. And it's as simple as just having a little variety pack of tips. Um, yeah. You know, that, that might be uh, the way to go. Awesome. Well, um, I'd say we're done for now. So close out. Um, close out. Check out the other great heli podcasts, Freefall RC Podcast, the Heli Head Show, Skids Up RC Heli Podcast, the Houdini RC Heli Podcast, Maximum Collective Podcast, and RC Heli Nation Version 3, On Rerun, BK RC Podcast, Inverted Down Under RC Heli Podcast, RC Heli Hooligans, Full Pitch RC Podcast, and RC Heli Nation Version 2. Please comment on iTunes or Podbean. Help others find the show. If you have any questions, feel free to email us. Upcoming events we are attending. None. <laughs> None. We done. Let's say, look at the 2022 heli calendar, but I guess it's time to start. It's I guess it's time to start a 2023 calendar. Sc scroll down your favorite podcast app and click the link for more details. Uh, you know, during this episode, actually, I kind of been uh, trolling around Amazon for links to uh, Hako and others for some of the stuff we were talking about. So I'll probably work on that a bit more with the group here and post some stuff up to help folks if you're looking to buy some uh, some of the stuff we're talking about remember we are in discord if you'd like to chat with us or other heli buddies in real time search telerotor or find the invite on our facebook page lastly i'd like to say thank you to all the listeners and look forward to seeing you on the field or somewhere else <laughs> tim thanks man we appreciate it that was awesome yeah tim that, yeah, was, that was good lots of good thank info you, thank you tim that was great Thank you everyone for listening. We hope you enjoyed this episode as we enjoyed taking the time to make them. If you have any questions regarding the show, such as future topics, events, or anything else, you can send us an email at telerotor at gmail.com or on Facebook, search Telerotor. Thanks again, and we'll see you on the field. Welcome to the bloopers for this episode. We recommend you listen to them in private as the audio is loud and the subject matter a bit sophomoric. Enjoy. Uh, Tim, after I welcome you as a guest, uh, you'll say hi. Okay. And you better say it just like that, too.
<laughs> yeah. Don't go, hi. <laughs> and our guest for this episode, Tim Titteback. How's it going, guys? <laughs> Titteback? Pronounced Titteback. Son of a bitch. Oh, he screwed that up already. <laughs> Get it number one. Start over. Just start over. <laughs> no, it's good. You can start over. I don't care. Just say tie to back and I'll I'll edit it in. Tie to back. Done. I thought I was editing. Nope. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we'll see. Don't you dare fuck up your audio. Oh my Damn, god. Damn, turn the game back up. Shit. <laughs> Don't worry, I'm over here peeking. Okay. Uh, main topic. It's kinda dead because I just got done getting out of a, a bag of bacon because Alexis ate all the food in the house. So I'm kinda street wrapping <laughs> it up right now. So if you give me a minute, my hands are kinda covered in bacon grease. I really don't want to mess my laptop up. See so yeah, soldering. God damn it. Alexis, you're an asshole. I love you, but <laughs> so those bagels were my pride and joy. I had cream cheese and bacon ready for those, and now it's going to go to waste. I'm crushed. My soul, it's dying on the inside. Just go to the goddamn store and buy some bagels. You can't do that, Robert. Right when you start the podcast. You get all excited, you open the fridge, you're like, oh, baby, this is going to be good. Bacon and cream cheese and butter on a, on a bagel? Well, did no. you do that before the podcast? Not today. God damn Not it. Not today. God, and then I thought. God damn it. Okay. Oh, did, did we actually start or what, what is going on? Yeah, we started. But we did. We did. We started. We started. Notes. I want to make sure I say correct things here. Ah. Uh, you didn't put anything in the show notes. All right. So we're just going to wing it then. The best kind. I thought we were going straight to the main topic. I thought we were too. Exactly. We Was that part so awesome we all fell asleep? <laughs> oh, I thought I might have lost somebody. I'm putting everybody straight to sleep. <laughs> so, yeah, I was about to say, time to go. Yeah, back. exactly. How much, how much do, of that do we edit out? <laughs> okay, so what have we done since the last episode other than attending events? Shaggy, you go first. I got a shit. <laughs> I just uh, now we see why it's going to take so long. Sign out. <laughs> I gotta log back in. Follow you. Here, DePaulo, me to you, you go. No, no, no. I, I'm good. I'm good. I'm good. I got it. Um. Okay. So, <laughs> am I the only one with my camera on? Yes. So I'm like really big in everybody's screen. No. No, you're the same size. I want to be yeah. really big in everybody's screen. All right, there it is. Oh, oh, great. <laughs> oh my gosh, I had to enlarge it just as you did that. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh! Uh, how, how do I cut this off? Yeah, thank you. Oh no, it's back. What are you, ta- what are you talking about? What are you talking about? Okay. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I just do a whole episode like this. How do I minimize? I don't want full screen. No. Oh man, now I got something on my finger. Let's just sat on the finger. Just know. lick it off. Just lick it off. It'll be okay. That lollipop <laughs> finger there. No. Oh. <laughs> Damn it. Hey, someone get me a banana and a condom. Time to teach somebody how to use yeah. something. Oh. Just get a banana and bend over. All right. That didn't listen as funny as this. So it's down in my head. I get it. <laughs> so, do we have a document?
Quick Are on, we ready to hit record in Audacity? Yes. Guys, you... get it ready, you fuckers. Break a break of one nine standing by. I turned my gain up a lot, so just to uh, let you know, <laughs> Shaggy, it's like a normal talk. It's like I got all these straight lines. I don't know why. Just make sure it's right. <laughs> Can't peek in bed, so you're going to peek the recording, huh? Uh, I'm going to peek the oh. bath. <laughs> just to hear Shaggy complain. Let's um, how about this? You did the editing this time. Okay, let me turn this down just a second. I can't wait to see the two Well, in that case, I'm going to go ahead and turn this cage down. <laughs> Make it a little bit easier on myself. <laughs> What's the fun in that? Let me torture myself. All right, you guys ready? Yes. Count us down. All right, three, two, one, penis. <laughs>